Hey, everybody. All right. For this discussion, uh, we're going to be talking about the Colorado Wolf Plan. And when I recorded this the other night, I was exhausted. And so I'm, I'm covering a lot of information and I was trying to stick to with my notes and I ended up talking very slowly through the whole thing. Um, I try to adjust that in the editing process, but for some reason, it's just not working the way I want it to, and I'm just done trying to fight it. So my recommendation to you is if you want to listen to it at the normal speed, which is probably going to sound a little slow, uh, go ahead, but you're probably going to be better off just kicking this up to like 1.25 or one and a half times speed just so it moves along a little quicker. Maybe you can even just bump it up to two times speed so it moves along a little quicker. But uh, there was a ton of information in there. I've had a pile of different conversations. I've been chewing through a whole bunch of stuff. So there's a lot in this podcast. It's a long podcast. It's for everybody that is frustrated with the Colorado Wolf uh, Reintroduction Management Plan. And um, yeah. I cover a ton of information in here because those of you that reached out to me and wanted my opinion, I want to be able to share my opinion with you. And for those people that were asking questions or confused about things, uh, we, we, it, somebody, we needed to set the record straight on a couple things. So anyway, it is what it is. I'm not happy with the speed of my talking. I'm not happy with how the sound came out for some reason, but rather than struggle to try to edit you know, things anymore. I'll just give you that qualification up front. You guys can adjust the speed as you as you wish to help your listening and uh, move on from there. So thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Row Hunting Resources Podcast. All righty. Well, it is, uh, what is the date? I don't know. Days blend. It's the 19th. It's Sunday night, the 19th. February 19th, 2023. Um... I told you in a previous podcast that I probably wasn't going to be able to puke them out on a consistent, like an every Monday basis, and I wanted to get them out to you weekly. I know it's been more than a week. Uh, I've been chewing on this this topic now for the better part of, well, I've been chewing on it on and off um, since its inception, but really this last two weeks, and especially the last probably five days, um, I've wanted, I did... All right, so I've been wrestling with this for quite some time because the deeper I dive into it, the more emotionally charged I get, and I'm and I'm not getting increasingly emotionally charged because of the wolf advocates or the commission or what I see going on in the plan or anything else. I get more emotionally charged by what I see the sportsman community doing or more importantly what the sportsman community is not doing and I I I have in front of me no less than I think but I think it's 15 13 or 15 pages of notes um for for this discussion some of it I can share with you publicly here there are others that I will not share publicly, but hopefully we can have a con- I, I, hopefully conversations will come out. I, I cannot. I will not share publicly here on this forum. Hopefully they will come out in different avenues in the future. But um, we need to cut through some bullshit on this plan, and more importantly, some of what is coming out of the sportsman community. And I know that that's not going to be popular. That is not going to be cool. That's not going to be... It's not going to be the norm. 
And that's why I'm gonna provide this no BS perspective from someone who is looking at this from a standpoint of the biology, but more importantly, the, the public process. Number one, we have to start, so before, and there's really, I, I've been sitting here wrestling with what I was gonna share with you, how I was gonna share with you. There's some things that just get me freaking pissed off. And I was going to vent and I was gonna just dive in and just rip apart some of these things. I don't think it's constructive. Uh, not that I don't want to do it. I, I've been wrestling for the past five days not doing it. Like, honestly, I've put this off. I don't, I don't know if it's constructive for the for the betterment of this issue and the betterment of the Colorado sportsmen that are going to have to deal with the Wolves in, um, here shortly. But if we're talking about asking people to be uh, publicly active in a commission meeting or providing comments to the commission, we got to have our shit straight. Like we we need to, we need to understand what the hell we're doing, what the truth is, what the reality is, and actually who gets to say. And so, while I want to dive into the wolf issue, I have to take a step back and touch on a couple of things that are going to be deeper conversations on different podcasts at a later date. And this is what has, has kind of thrown me for a loop. I, I was moving in a direction to have a series of conversations that I thought flowed very well based on what I've been putting out uh, in previous podcasts and on my, so on my Instagram account as far as surveys and polls and that type of stuff. But because of the time, because people think the time is of the essence with this wolf plan, I'm having to insert this before I can have a deeper level of discussion on some of those things. So I'm going to touch on a couple of of important things here, and then I'm not going to dive into them too deep. I'll dive into the concept here later on. But I need to set these things up initially so that we we frame this conversation. In a in a in a in a manner that is meaningful and is productive, and values and is respectful of everyone's time, not just people in Colorado, but everyone. <clears throat> so, again, like I said in the beginning, if everyone in the room is in agreement, then someone is not thinking. So allow me. And this is probably going to be a long podcast, so I'll probably leave it in one podcast. But allow me to be that other voice that provides a different perspective than what you've probably been getting in any other platform out there. Part of what has taken me this this time is I've been trying to listen to every podcast or every discussion that I can that I know of regarding this issue. And seeing what's being said and, and what what's what's being uh, talked about, okay, and then researching everything I can. So and then spending the time this past week listening to, cut, to commission meetings, not only the one that was held last week, but also the the previous ones and the public comment. So let's dive in. Number one, this is a Colorado issue, and I know some of you. That are not Colorado residents may have been under the impression or been told specifically that you need to mobilize, you need to get activated, you need to get in and chime in, and, and you need to to whether it was send emails or make phone calls or 
you know, attend, you know, register to, to speak virtually, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, on this commission, these commission hearings. With all due respect, and and I and this is not, I'm not trying to be an asshole here. You don't have a voice. If you're not a Colorado resident, you're not a, you don't have a voice. All right, this is a Colorado issue. Now, we might, if I remember, some of you in Utah, some of you in Arizona, some of you in New Mexico, you there there may be a chance for you to chime in here. Um, that I think comes at a different different date, different time for a different reason, a very strategic and purposeful reason, which we may or may not talk about on this podcast. I don't know. We Anyway, the general public, if you're in Washington, you're from California, you're in Wyoming, or if you're in Connecticut, I'm sorry. This is a Colorado issue. If you are going, if the sportsman community is going to pretend to stand under the shadow of the, or stand on the, the moral pedestal of the North American model of wildlife conservation, then you need to respect or understand, first of all, and then respect the fact that wildlife within the state is managed for the people of the state. And it will say, and its visitors. But it is managed by the people of the people, for the people of the state primarily. And we don't, again, I'm going to dive into the details of that later on, but it goes to where Pittman Robertson funds are collected and then how they're doled back out to the states and why they're doled back out to the states. It goes to the 10th Amendment of the United States. And quite honestly, it's even codified in in, in Colorado. Colorado law uh, codifies it. So this is a Colorado issue. And the people that have standing... And this is, a, when I say standing, that is a legal term. People that have standing in this discussion are Colorado residents, citizens. People that are outside the state, go ahead, chime in. If they call you and want to, or they want to ask where you're from and you have to tell them truthfully that you're from outside the state and they say, we don't care, move on, they have every right to do so. So Coloradans are going to have to fight this this fight. Now that doesn't mean that we can't get uh, the 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 non-residents, non-Colorado citizens don't have good may, actionable information that could be of use to Colorado citizens, but it's going to be the Colorado citizens that need to bring these actions and bring these uh, concerns to the table that have standing in this discussion that will that have a right to be a, a fundamental right to be heard. Number two, for those that believe and that have said to me and others that no, wolves are going to be released out onto federal public lands and because federal public lands are federal lands, they belong to all of us and because sportsmen's dollars pay for federal lands, then we all have a say in what goes on with wildlife management. So, we, so because it is going to impact federal public lands, we have a say. That is that cannot be further from the truth. Number one, sportsmen do not pay. Sportsmen's dollars are do not go to pay for federal public lands. And I understand. I put a survey on my Instagram and I asked where do where do sportsmen's dollars goes? Where do sportsmen's dollars go? 
on my community that, that follow my Instagram page, when I asked, with regard to the North American model of wildlife, wildlife conservation, sportsman's dollars, pay for which of the following? A, state wildlife and natural resources agencies. B, federal land wildlife agencies. Both A and B. D, I don't freaking know. More than a thousand of you respond, of my viewers and my followers responded. 51% of my followership believed that sportsmen's dollars pay for both state wildlife and natural resources agencies as well as U.S. Forest Service, BLM, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. That is incorrect. I know that you have been told otherwise. You have been led to believe otherwise. And I'm sorry for that. I lay the blame for that squarely at the feet of the progressive, pretty much every freaking organization that's on the landscape these days drumming you up into some sort of activism, into some sort of action, political action. I don't care whether it's a new organization or whether we're talking about legacy organizations. All of them, in my opinion, have set you up for failure, especially the newer generation of hunters that are on the scene. For the fact that 51% of my audience believes that sportsman's dollars pays for federal for the U.S. Forest Service, federal public lands, BLM, that's inexcusable. When I asked Jim... Huntsman and Guy Duplantia to put the survey on their platforms. Jim had some other stuff. He he was able to do a little bit. Guy put that that guy was able to put that one on his platform. If I'm if I remember correctly, when I saw what Jim or what Guy sent back to me for Guy Duplantia's the Western Contours podcast, his audience. 75%, roughly 75% of his audience believed, his followers believed that the sportsman's dollars pay for federal land. Every organization that is out there that is spewing information into your ears, drumming up activism and action and, and, and getting you whipped up into policies and, and sportsman's issues, I, I put that... That grotesque misinformation I put squarely on them, and I'm and and this is going to be a part of a different discussion later on, where some of my angst of what I'm seeing in the sportsman community. I guess I op- I have to apologize to some of you because you don't even know what you don't know, and that is egregious to me. That that's I knew that the progressive mindset is a cancer and has pervaded this has in it is infected this dialogue i've i fought with it back in colorado when i was politically active on sportsman's issues but i've been out of it purposefully i tried to walk away for the past 10 years but it's only gotten worse this can't the progressive mindset the progressive is is a cancer and it does not self-regulate it only spreads I just didn't realize how much it had spread its malignant ideology and twisted the minds of so many sportsmen. Sportsmen dollars do not pay for federal public lands. And just because the Colorado Wolf Plan 
is going to impact federal public lands. Just because you're a sportsman does not mean you have standing. Not necessarily. It doesn't mean you have a say in Colorado wildlife issues. This is going to have to be one fought and battled between Colorado residents, the Wildlife Commission, its legislature, and the people of the state. Colorado sportsmen, therefore, if you're listening to this, no one is coming to save you. They can't. They do not have standing in the state Generally speaking, no one's going to come to save you. You're going to have to do this yourself. You're going to have to get organized. You're going to have to unite. You are going to have to have a singular voice. You're going to have to know what the hell you're arguing and be strategic about it. Number three, there is a lot of angst and a lot of frustration by those that are looking at this plan. And they're looking at what happened in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. And they're trying to draw parallels between the two. We can't, we can't think like that. This is not Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. This is not the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Why do I say that? In that situation, the federal government decided to put wolves in the Yellowstone ecosystem, in the Yellowstone National Park. Because the National Park is federal property, because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service wanted to do it, you have a federal agency putting stuff on the ground for a federal agency. It was going to there, when the wolves spilled out of the park, it then impacted individual states. States have sovereignty. They have unique powers under the U.S. Constitution, 10th Amendment notwithstanding. The fact that now the federal government action to bring wolves into the Yellowstone ecosystem caused a problem for the state. The state, and more importantly, the people of the state, did not want to assume all of the problems that came with wolves. So the states individually put their wildlife experts and the weight of the state government behind actions to push back against the federal government. So they were able to bring to bear all their wildlife professionals, their legislative power, their money, and the citizenry behind it. This issue in Colorado is 180 degrees opposite. The people of Colorado asked for and demanded that wolves be brought into the state regardless of what the feds think. Again, 
Wildlife in a state is managed by the state, not the feds. We can have a different discussion when we're talking about the interplay between federal agencies, the U.S. Forest Service, BLM, Bureau of Reclamation, and then state wildlife agencies. That that that's a separate conversation. But the the in this situation, the people of Colorado asked to have wolves. It was put on a ballot. For those of you that that talk about, we need to have you know. Wildlife is is democratic, and and we need to have wildlife management. We need to have the democratic wildlife. Well, here you go. 50.91% of the citizens of Colorado asked to have wolves put on the landscape. And and it it wasn't that, could we please? No, it was... The Division of Wildlife, the the the, the Wildlife Commission, and the and the the CPW will. It was a mandate that you will bring wolves back to the state. This is where the problem. This is where the difference lies. This is where the problem is. What did I say just a minute ago? No one is coming to save you. Why? Because this was a duly chosen course of action by the people of the state of Colorado. It doesn't matter if it was only by 0.91% of the population. Democracy is democracy. Democracy is mob rule. All you need is one vote, one, to be the majority. Now, we can have a separate discussion later on that if if the government of Colorado had had some integrity here and was impartial here, they would have looked at the fact that this barely frickin' passed by a farts like a, a frog fart hair frog hair margin, and should have taken a more cautious approach. But that's not what happened here because the people of the state voted on a proposition and a law that was drafted by hardcore wolf advocates who were unhappy with what they were seeing in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. And we can talk about Washington, Oregon, that type of stuff as well. But they were not happy with what was going on with regard to the wolves in the greater Yellowstone area. They were not happy with the fact that the management of wolves went back to the people of the state and the the wolves were then able to be hunted. So when the advocates came here, they knew that they had a progressive governor that was lean, that leans hard left progressive and environmentalist. They knew that they had a population of people in the state that were either generally tuned out. Again, remember when this happened during the height of COVID. Everyone is distracted. Everyone is shut down. Everyone is frustrated. Everyone's more focused on other things. This was not an accident. They brought this ballot initiative during the height of COVID and they won. And now, state law says the state shall do XYZ. We'll talk about what was actually passed here in a little bit. The biggest part about this is the federal government is not going to step in and oppose it. And quite honestly, recently, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, part of this plan that makes this plan happen is what's called the 10J rule, uh, it, you can look it up. We'll, we can talk about it later here in a minute. 
The 10J rule is a, a grant from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, a special exemption for the state to be able to manage a species of, of animal that is currently listed or is endangered or threatened under the ESA, the Endangered Species Act. This 10J rule gives the state of Colorado flexibility on how to manage and, and navigate this project of bringing wolves back to the state. The state would probably, regardless of whether or not the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service gave the state the 10J rule exemption, state law now, because of Proposition 114, which turned into Colorado Revised Statute 33-2-105.8, Colorado Revised Statute, that's Colorado law, 33-2-105.8, regardless of whether U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service granted the state a 10-J rule exemption or not, the state is mandated to move forward and put wolves on the landscape. Luckily, and I, and I use that air quotes, quote-unquote luckily, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service granted the 10-J rule. And I only say luckily, air quotes luckily, only because that affords the state some flexibility that we would not, that the state would not have if we were stuck under, uh, if the state was stuck under the thumb of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Endangered Species Act, the 10-J rule discussion is a completely different discussion. I'm just saying, U.S. Fish and Wildlife just granted. It's subject to public input. It is going to be coming up for public comment before it's finalized. Pay attention to that and get involved with the public comment of the 10-J rule. USFWS.gov forward slash Colorado Wolf, I believe is what it is. The document is massive. The document has a lot of information in it. It's going to be incumbent upon the people of the state of Colorado to go through that and provide comment. I'm going to table any more discussion of that for later. But the feds, the Forest Service, as of right now, the Forest Forest Service is not stepping in to stop anything. The BLM is not going to step in to stop anything. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service definitely is not stopping anything because they just granted, they're going to grant or want to grant the 10-J rule. No federal agency at this point is going to stop it, that period. The state is running this program on behalf of the people of the state. Which means what? The citizens of Colorado are on their own. Why? Because the law charges the Colorado government to put forth this action. It charges the Wildlife Commission and the state agency, the Wildlife Department of Natural Resources and Colorado Parks and Wildlife, to engage and manifest this action on the landscape. Because of that, the agency cannot come to your defense. They are on a gag order, a public gag order anyway. And some sportsmen are frustrated by that. But that's not it that's not anything new. That's that's not out of the norm. That's not because of the wolf plan. That is standard operating procedure with the Colorado government. I was dealing with that 15 plus years ago. 
when something of major importance was going to be debated before the people of the state or in the legislature, oftentimes the agency was put on a gag order. The agency is not allowed to chime in other than through official channels, channels which is either the director of the, agent, of the CPW or the director of the DNR. That's it. The actual biologists and the, the managers on the ground are under a gag order. And when I say they're under a gag order, they are under threat of their jobs. They speak out, they're fired. Done. This is standard operating procedure for the state of Colorado. Again, remember, the activists put this forward during covid but they also put this forward knowing full well who Jared Polis, the governor, was. Very far left-leaning, environmentally-leaning, progressive governor. They had a friendly ear at the governor. And that governor put wildlife commissioners in place that were very friendly to the left-leaning, progressive, environmental viewpoint. The time was ripe for the activists to move and take advantage of the standard public process. They didn't pull any shenanigans. They didn't do anything sneaky or anything, at least for what I'm talking about here. They actually, this is the problem. They know how to work the actual public process and they win and they're good at it. We suck, by the way, if you haven't figured that out yet. Sportsmen suck at it. The activists and, and animal advocates and anti-hunters, they're very good at playing within the bounds of the game and just beating us with the rules of the game. They knew they had a sympathetic governor. They knew that that governor was, was, had the ability to put the wildlife commissioners in place that he wanted. He, they knew that the public of Colorado was going to be distracted with COVID and all the other BS that they had to deal with at that time. And they put forth a very well-crafted Proposition 114 that turned into a very well-crafted Colorado Rise Statute 33-2-105.8. Again, we're going to get to that here in a minute. I'm going to table the contents of that here in a minute. I want to cover the basics, and then I'm going to get to, because people want to know what to do about it. And and what what do I think? What is a wasted effort? What is important? Etc. That's that we'll get to that here in a minute. We got to lay the foundation. What I just outlined is the the people of the state of Colorado, those people that do not want wolves, you're on your own. You're on your own. The state biologists, no matter what they think about this wolf plan, cannot speak out against it. Hell, they can't even speak out for it. They can't speak about it. Except through official channels, and that's going to be either Reed DeWalt or Eric O'Dell or uh, Dan Gibbs or like it. It's going to be official, like the heads of departments and the heads of people, like the agencies. The only thing that the agency can do legally is do the quote unquote best they can for the people in which they answer to. That is also critical. They can move forward and they can try to do the best that they can for all the people of the state but when the when the day is done they have to answer to the wildlife commission all right let's shift a minute 
Let's go through the process. What was the process? Okay, let's go through that process again. I want everybody to be very clear about this because there's so much bullshit misinformation out there that it's clouding the judgment of sportsmen engaging in the public process to where people are arguing things that either are completely irrelevant and don't need to be argued or, I'm sorry, respectfully to those people that don't know any better, it makes you sound like an idiot. And your voice is absolutely being ignored. Proposition 114. Proposition 114 was put forward to the state of Colorado. The question, reintroduction and management of gray wolves. Proposition 114, and I'm reading this from the blue book right now. I'm not, I will get into more details, but I want to read the, the, here's the, here's the yes, no question to the ballot. Proposition 114 proposes amending the Colorado statutes. Colorado law to require the state to colon number one develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado stop don't jump ahead listen number one develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado number two Take necessary steps to begin reintroduction by December 31st, 2023. Three, pay fair compensation for livestock losses caused by gray wolves. Line six, what your vote means. Yes, a yes vote on Proposition 114 means that the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission will develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves west of the Continental Divide. A no vote on Proposition 114 means that Colorado will not be required to reintroduce gray wolves. That is what was put before the Colorado voters. You need to remember, now, the supporting documentation of this is going to be what turns into Colorado 332-105.8, the, the Colorado law, okay? So, again, Proposition 114 says to modify, would it, to or proposes amending the Colorado statutes, meaning it needs to amend and change Colorado law, put something in Colorado law. What is attached to Proposition 114 is the, and in the book it says, and I'll get to it here in a minute, it provides the language of what they want it to be and what it, what they want it to sound like. So Proposition 114 goes on the ballot in the height of COVID and all the bullshit and all the lockdowns and everything else with a with a progressive governor who list, leans left with a wildlife commission is now, it's starting to lean harder and harder left, all right? This was written by hardcore wolf advocacy experts. This was not somebody that was sitting around a, a, a coffee table in, in their home in, in Brighton and was like, you know what would be cool? No. This was put together, organized, paid for, orchestrated by, put on the ballot. They had to get signatures across the state. They got well more than they way more signatures necessary to put this on the ballot than than was necessary. It was highly organized and it was written by experts. 
wolf advocacy experts that were not happy with what was going on in the 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 Northern Rocky Mountain NRM. You'll see that all the time. Northern Rocky Mountain wolf uh, area, the Yellowstone wolf debacle. Okay. So they wrote Proposition 114, put it forth before the voters. The voters voted it in with the language that was ultimately to be 33-2-105.8, the actual law that was passed. The voters voted for it. And it won by 0.91% of point. Less than 1% of the voters. But that's democracy for you. So now it's the law of Colorado land. Remember what it says. This is a commission-led process. The commission, we are going to amend the law with this 33-2-105.8. And it's going to direct the Wildlife Commission to, they shall, they will, no questions, they must. Remember, the Wildlife Commission is appointed by the governor. And yes, we could talk about who's on it and blah, 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 blah. That, that could come up later if you want to. But regardless, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to have at least the idea and the air of being impartial and diverse. And well, especially in Colorado, anyway, I'm not even going to go there. It's going to be the air of diverse. But you know darn well, governors appoint public officials that lean heavily in the same ideological vein as the governor does. Okay? So this this Wildlife Commission, I don't care anybody who wants to get mad at me, leans hard left. All right? It's a commission-led process mandated by law by the people of the state. It is shaped and influenced by commission appointees. The agency, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, is the agency that is going to carry out the desires and the and the direction of the commission. The agency must obey. The agency does not have an option to say, no, we don't want to. Because the the head of the agency is put there by the governor, can be removed or replaced at his discretion. So the head of the DNR is is governor appointed and the head of the Parks and Wildlife is either there because the governor wants them or can be removed because the governor wants them, be removed. The agency follows the orders of the Wildlife Commission. That is how it is set up in the state. Here's the thing. The commission only needs to consider the advisement of the agency. The commission is not required to do what the agency says. The agency is required to do what the commission says. The commission is only only needs to consider what the agency says. The agency has the experts. But we heard in the latest, that last round of commission meeting, and dang it, I forgot. This is my bad. I apologize to all of you. Um, I was going to write this down. 
we had a wildlife commissioner in this last virtual meeting. Uh, a woman uh, uh, who vehemently said, and we're going to get to the, the issue at, at hand here in a minute, vehemently said, we need to listen to the experts because it, we need to listen to the experts in the agency. We need to listen to the TWIG, which is the TWG, the technical working group for the, this plan, the, the, the professionals, the, the, the professional biologists, not only from the state of Colorado, but from areas in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana, those people that were involved with wolves up in the northern Rocky Mountain region. Uh, were part of this technical working group that put together this plan. The commissioner herself said, we, we should not change what the plan says because we need to listen to experts. The experts have, they have given us the best guidance. This is what we should do. And we actually had one of the other female commissioners push back against that and flat out say, paraphrasing, well, we have expertise too, so we we can exercise our say. Meaning, it doesn't matter what the agency says. I have my own truth. I feel my own truth. I feel my own level of expertise here, and I can exercise as a commissioner, which she is 100% correct. She has the authority to do exactly that. She has the commission authority to ignore the experts in the agency and the technical working group, the 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 sport, the the the, the stakeholder advisor group. We're going to get here in a minute. She absolutely has the right and the authority to ignore what the agency is recommending. This is the other thing that people need to understand. Commission guidance on this plan, their documents, the commission's direction and desire for this plan is by its very nature fluid and is non-binding to any future wildlife commission. Let me say that again. What this wildlife commission does now is non-binding does not necessarily affect what any future commission wants to do with regard to this issue. Their guidance, their documents, the direction and desire that they want for this wolf introduction reintroduction plan is fluid and is non-binding to future commissions and has no power over legislation or the legislative branch of the Colorado government. The Colorado legislative body has power over the commission. The commission has power over the agency. That is the chain of command. The agency must do what the commission tells it to do. But the commission can, eh, it can, it can take under advisement what the agency wants. The commission must do what the legislature tells it to do. But the legislature, eh, it can take or leave or, you know, it can interpret or it can do whatever, what, you know, if the commission makes recommendations, eh, it can do what it wants. The chain of command is top down. This is the thing. 
those that are concerned about you know this quote unquote act now before we get a a, a worse commission or we got to do something now and get it in because the commission might change and be worse later on blah blah respectfully they don't understand the commission process and they don't understand the Colorado law they don't understand Colorado politics and 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 the chain of command and how this works and they're whipping you up trying to get you to react and react and react and emotionally charge and go jump on your your trusty steed grab your lance and go tilt against those windmills off in the distance without understanding what this it doesn't matter what the future commission is going to look like because the future commission has every ounce of flexibility to meddle with a plan however they see fit in the future You need to understand. If you listen, if you read the plan, this is the other thing that's pissing me off. The number of people that are getting charged up and telling you to go and do XYZ. When you listen to them on podcasts or when you listen to them in meetings or whatever, you find out they haven't even read the plan. They've skimmed the plan. <coughs> or they read the executive summary. That's bullshit. Read the damn plan. It's there for everybody to see. Be like, oh, it's 297 pages or what? Yes, it is. That's with all the supporting documents. Uh, Do you care about the future of hunting in Colorado? Yes or no? Like, is reading 297 pages (coughs) worth your ability to continue to hunt and uh, continue to elk hunt and deer hunt and moose hunt in Colorado into the future? I don't know. I think it is. Man, I'm going to be pissed if my voice starts going. I've been talking and just voicing this stuff for the past nine days with different people. This plan, if in my point, okay, so sorry, I was going to get off. If you want to make this a drinking game, somebody joked before, if you want to make this a drinking game, every time I get lose my train of thought, take a shot. Trust me, I'm going to try to stay to my notes so you don't so you know, get too drunk too quick. All right. The reason why I bring that up, the, 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 the people that are concerned about the, the, the future commission, they don't understand the commission process. And they are not grasping the, the political makeup of Colorado currently. Jared Polis just won re-election. He's not going anywhere. Jared Polis is not going to change his political ideology or his value sets. He's only going to continue to put people on the commission that are going to be sensitive and desirable for his ideology. This commission is going to be similar from here right on through his tenure as governor. And each commission from here on out has their discretion on whether or not they want to get into this document and meddle with it. Why? Because the commissioners say it themselves in the public meetings if you listen to what they say and it's written in the actual plan in the document itself. This will change through time. There are annual reports from the agency to the commission on progress, what's happening, what's not happening, why, what we see, but all of those comments, all of that input into those commission meetings at any moment could absolutely affect the the reintroduction plan. This is a draft plan. 
it will be a finalized plan to initiate the action. But that because it just because you read finalized plan, that doesn't mean it is set in legislative stone. It's still a commission document. The commissioners themselves have said repeatedly, this is going this is and will be a living, breathing document. What does that mean? It means nothing that they agree to today is going to be set in stone for tomorrow. So people that are getting hung up about what they're reading in the plan now, pump the brakes. You need, why? This is the fun. Some of you have listened to me for years and I've talked about understanding value sets. And I have literally heard from some of you, not a lot, but I've heard from some of you, dude, who gives a shit? Like, why do we care? Why I don't I don't care about that. No, this is why you care. Because the commission, the governor, has a certain set of values. He's appointing commissioners that share a fundamental at some level, share some, if not all, of his value sets. The commission themselves. Then members over these next several years may change, but the ideologies and the proclivities and the dispositions and the value sets of them are likely to not change. It is a living and breathing document to where it doesn't matter what is done tomorrow or the, you know by the end of May this year. At any moment, it could change in the future. And I know. There are some people that are upset, and I and I asked for my audience to send me on Instagram. I say, send me your questions. What what are, what are your questions? What are your concerns about this document? One of the ones that had a consistent theme was this idea of ballot box wildlife management versus quote unquote science based management, and that they were upset that this is ballot box management. I understand where you're coming from. But in this case, the only thing that ballot box applies to here was the statement, we want wolves in Colorado. After that, this plan is science-based. We're going to get to more on that here in a little bit. All right. I have a page. I'm looking at a page here, and it seems to be. Um, I think I went over this. Yeah, Colorado 33 2 105.8 sets the law. Commission guides the law based on commission value sets. Agency complies with best that they, and the agency complies with the best that they can. Colorado, as a body public, has drastically different value sets than before. Meaning, nowadays, they generally will elect a more left-leaning, progressive governor and or legislature. The populace of Colorado these days is less tied to uh, a fundamental understanding of and and, and or a uh, consumptive value use to the land. And it's more of a recreational standpoint, a distance 
uh, relationship to the land. Meaning, I want to go out and ski or, or hike or bird watch or leaf look or whatever. Uh, and they're more more urbanized. The people that control, because Colorado is controlled like many, Colorado is politically controlled just like Washington is, just like California is, just like Kansas is, um, just like, I mean, a lot of states are where you have one, two, or three major cities where the general, the, the bulk of the population lives. Outside of those big cities, you have rural America that is tied to the land, agriculture, great, you know, cattle grazing, ranching, or whatever, hunting, fishing, etc. But when something goes before a statewide vote, those one, two, three cities steamroll over the rest of the entire state. It's not representative of what the state wants as far as a distribution, a representative democracy. It's just pure democracy. And so Colorado is now a pure democracy when it comes to some of these things where the vast majority of people, the, the, the people that, let's just put it this way, the people that control the politics of the state literally come from Denver, Pueblo, and, and a couple of counties on the uh, I, I-70 corridor. That's it. It literally comes down to, I don't understand even why in Colorado politics we even waste money on those other counties. Really, the only place that you need to spend money are those places where that control the politics. Denver, Boulder, the Denver metro area, including Boulder, Pueblo, Vale, and Aspen. Like, that's where you spend your money because that's who's going to dictate what goes on politically in the state. Again, I talked about wildlife managed be, being managed of, for, and by the people of the state. That state is consistently, more and more these days, voting in left-leaning, environmental progressive governors, that ha- and they are going to appoint the same value set in their commission. The commission is guided, those people on the commission are guided and controlled by their value sets. They have the discretion here. As long as they meet the demands of the legislature, they have the discretion. When you want to vent and get upset or you want to testify before the commission, it is pointless to argue facts and logic to people who have no value for facts and logic. They are, you are arguing points to the Wildlife Commission that many of the Wildlife Commissioners are going to be predominantly influenced by their own personal value set then they are going to be influenced by your facts and logic on any given point. Unless the facts and logic are close enough related to something they value, if you can find the fact and logic that is tied closely to something that they value, then they are likely to hear you and listen to you and act upon it. But if your fact and logic is diametrically opposed to what they value, my opinion is that point is likely to fall on deaf ears. I say that because you're going to hear the sportsman community rail against we need to be, we need to, this needs to be science-based, 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 science-based. And you're wanting, what you're meaning, what, what most sportsmen are meaning, is they want the agency biologist or the technical working group to drive the discussion on science. 
The problem is, is everybody, whether you're a professional or otherwise, all you can do is rely on the best available science. But research is constantly changing. Number one, there's more information constantly coming in. Number two, science is unfortunately still influenced by value set. And there are papers, there are research projects, there are studies, there are investigations, there are analyses, etc. There are scientific journal articles being published in peer-reviewed art journal articles that highlight science that might be contrary to what sportsmen actually want. So when the sportsmen are sitting there saying, we need to be using the science, we need to be sitting on the science, we need to stand on the science... You need to understand that there is science, quote-unquote, coming out, like peer-reviewed journal articles coming out that do not lean in the favor of sportsmen. So you can't just go to the commission and say, we need, we, we need to lean on science, best available science, we need to lean on science here and not the ballot box. Or the, or the, but they are. They are. They, they are. They're go- they are. They may just not list. They just may not have a value to the, the the scientific stuff that you bring to the table. But darn what they're going to bring their stuff to the table, and I'm going to get to that here in a second, because one of them did, and I'll sh- she's a wolf advocate, and I will shake her hand, because she was on it, she was impressive. I don't like it at all, but game recognizes game, and she brought it. You have to you have to remember. Best available science. That is what this commission is supposedly leaning on. That is what this plan is predicated upon. But that science is always changing. That science is fluid. And that science and the interpretation thereof is subjective. And it is still only used to guide decisions. And the agency... The, bi- the biologists that are actually in the trenches doing this work are hamstrung by the gag order and by the chain of command. They can present all of the science that they have, the best available science that they know translates directly to the ground in Colorado. But there is other science out there that the advocates are pulling from that they can throw into the public mix as well and cloud the issue and the commissioners are going to take all of it under quote-unquote advisement. Those that want to criticize the agency for this plan there are some that get, that reached out to me and they were frustrated they're like these you know these these you know these people putting this plan together don't even know what the hell they're doing. They, they don't know what they're doing to Colorado. They don't know what the, the problems they're going to cause. And they don't know. It's like, stop, stop. I went to school with most of the people that are involved with this right now. If I didn't go to school with them, I was in, I started my career at the same time they did. I know these people. I remember when Reed DeWalt was a brand new game warden in Eastern Colorado. I remember when Eric O'Dell started. I know these people. They're good biologists. They are lit- they've got they are in handcuffs right now. They are it's not that they want to do this. They are mandated to do this. Now we're going to talk in a minute about the the motivations and possible incentives for some of this later on, but 
they're good biologists. The process of the plan. Again, you people need to go freaking read the plan. Don't take other people's word for it. Don't even take my word for it. Go read the damned plan. The plan has come together by two groups of people. A technical working group. TWG. Technical Working Group. When you're listening to the commissioners and they say the word twig, that is the short form for TWG, Technical Working Group. That technical working group is made up of biologists. Biologists that are employed by the state agent, the, the CPW, as well as subject matter experts from other states that dealt with the Northern Rocky Mountain wolf issue from Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, blah, blah. They pulled experts from there into this process. Yeah, I know, Chris, but they cherry-picked the people and they go, yes, okay, fine. You could go ahead, critique some of them if you want to. I don't know those other people. I know the people that are involved with the process in, in the state of Colorado. I don't know personally those other people. And are, could they have a bias? Yes, sure, they could have a bias. But they are people that lived it and they know the reality on the ground. Those people were the part of the TWIG, the technical working group. The other body of people that were putting this plan together was this, oh, I almost did it, Stakeholder Advisory Group, S-A-G, SAG. If you hear the commission talk about SAG, it's the Stakeholder Advisory Group. If, if I mention that again and you hear me say Sportsman's Advisory Group, that is incorrect that is a mistake on my part, and that is a Freudian slip only because SAG, S-A-G, when I was back in Colorado and involved with political stuff, SAG was actually a sportsman's advisory group. I did a lot of my work engaged in sportsman's politics under the old sportsman's advisory group, the old SAG, this new SAG is not Sportsman's Advisory Group. It is Stakeholder Advisory Group. My brain sometimes just defaults to the old style. So anyway, SAG is a highly mixed group from everything from sportsmen and outfitters to ranchers to the absolute deepest committed Wolf advocacy people. Is it perfect? Hell frickin' no. Is it defensible as a diverse group representing the diverse interests across the state of Colorado and defensible in front of the people of Colorado and the state legislature? 100% yes. You may not like who's on the SAG group. You may not like who's on the technical working group, but they do represent, on the, on the twig, they represent subject matter experts. On the SAG, they do represent a broad base of stakeholder interests in the state. It doesn't matter if it's perfect the way you as a sportsman want. Again, 
This is not about you. This is about the broader populace of the people of the state of Colorado understanding that it's the wolf advocates that brought the issue to the forefront in the first place. So of course they're going to have a place at the table. The agency put that, the commission directed the agency, the agency put those groups together. They did a freaking good job for the restrictions that were placed upon them. I think they came up with a good plan. Do I like the fact that wolves are going to be introduced in Colorado? Hell frickin' no. But I think they came up with a good plan for what the ballot initiative and the state law directs the state to do. Again, we can go, we can dive into the weeds. We're gonna, we might dive into the weeds here on what that is here in a second, but for right, right now. You have to remember the agency is charged with establishing a biologically successful slash sustainable from a wildlife standpoint and legislatively mandated uh, mandated standpoint a biologically successful and sustainable standalone population of wolves with consideration given to landowners, livestock producers. Why? why this is the other one. A lot of people are pissed off that the, the, land, the, the landowners, the livestock producers got consideration, but sportsmen didn't. That has to deal with a, a concept called the taking. Governmental taking. If government, you as a private property owner, as a sovereign citizen, you have the right to pursue life, liberty, and happiness, blah, 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 everything within the confines of state law and and what you can do on your private property. When your private property, when you own private property, you have a suite of rights that go with that private property. One of those is that you can use it however the hell you want to for economic gain or whatever and and whatever that piece of property and the suite of rights that go with that property have an intrinsic economic value attached to them. If the state chooses to enact a law that will diminish your ability to exercise the rights you have on your property and, and, and realize the gains or the value of your property, that is considered a taking. If a government body is going to initiate a taking of private property, whether it's cattle or private land property, whatever, property, your property, your car, furniture, house, land, whatever, all that, that's all property. Well, livestock are property as well. And the economic gain from that livestock is property. If the government is going to create a policy or a law or an action that is going to negatively impact your property, you are entitled by law just compensation. The reason why this is written into the statute for livestock owners because they know because wolves will adversely affect 
landowners that have livestock, that is a taking, and by law, the state must compensate those people that are landowners that are negatively affected by the law, by by the policy, by the action, by by the reintroduction of wolves. This is why you're going to hear in there debate at the that the commission hearings where you'll have county commissioners come in or city council people come in or you know lo- local mom and pops that have a restaurant or whatever come in and say you guys are going to negatively impact our businesses and our communities. There's a reason why they're not included in the compensation charts. Because that type of consideration is not property. That is not considered a taking. So the state does not have a legal requirement to compensate them for it. All they can do is those people that feel that they are negatively affected by this policy, by this this wolf reintroduction, that is not state mandated for compensation. All you can do is make the best case you can and hope that the commission listens to you and then extends consideration to you and then through some sort of, of informal or formal contract extends that remuneration or, or that, that compensation to you. You want to know where sportsmen lie on that whole list? Uh, just just a question, given the fact that sportsman hunting, uh, uh, it's called, uh, what, was it, what was it called? Yeah, recreational hunting. Yeah. We don't exist on that list. Again, more to that later. Again, there were some of you that chimed in, and and some of, I've okay. There was there's some that are upset that the quote unquote plan is too. There's too many wolves. It's it's too uh, too grandiose, too big, and and it's going way overboard. I used to be a person initially when I first heard what was going on. That was my initial thought as well. The problem is, is when you le- read exactly what the law says, okay? You have to remember, the proposition was very well well worded and the state law, it, it doesn't, it, it, quite honestly, the proposition doesn't matter. Um it's what the proposed state law was, which they linked to that people had constructive notice, okay? Should I get... I'm trying to figure out whether I can get into it now. Okay, I'm going to go off in a rabbit hole real quick. I think it's I think it's I think it's valuable for this rabbit hole right now. Okay, so one of the things that I heard people complain about was that the um that the proposition did not adequately spell out what the what was actually what people were actually voting for that is incorrect that's wrong here's why in colorado i don't know about other states in colorado one of the things that i had the greatest respect for was what they called the blue book when a proposition when a ballot initiative or when something was going to affect the state and the, the people of the state had to vote on an issue at the ballot box there was something published called the Blue Book. It was literally a, a, a printed blue book, and it was sent to every registered voter in the state. And it outlined what the proposition was or what the law was, 
and then it outlined the details of that law in general. Again, you can't spend, it's, it's got to be mailed to everybody. And, and a lot of these are like, there's maybe dozens of, of ballot issues. Okay. So it's in a succinct manner, it's going to outline what the issue is. And then this is what I loved about it. It gives you a couple bullet points of from from those people that are proponents of the of the measure, and then a couple bullet points from the people who oppose the measure. That way, if someone is ne- walking into the ballot box ballot, at, at the, the the polling booth, if they've never heard of an issue, they can literally quickly read, and they can make a decision. Now, again, these are mailed to all of the registered voters in Colorado. Meaning, you get this blue book in your mailbox well before election. And that is important. Because this is where we get to a legal, an absolute, justifiable, well-established concept of constructive notice. If you buy a property, if you bought your house, you bought it from somebody, they, agreed, they they choose to sell it. Everybody in your neighborhood knows that neighbor. They love that neighbor. And then that neighbor decides, you know them from family, whatever, and they decide to go ahead and sell you their house. And you buy that house from them, and the deed passes over to you, and that deed is then registered at the county that you are now the new owner of that house. Anybody that was a neighbor to that property or that ever thought that they had any sort of maybe connection or whatever to that property, they are not required to be notified in person. Act give it, they're not required to be giving what's called actual notice where you go up on the you know, the door and, hey, uh, neighbor Smith, just want to let you know, uh, neighbor Bob there sold me his old house, so I'm your new neighbor now. You don't have to do that. Constructive notice is you went down and you recorded your deed at the county. And that deed now says this property at this location of this legal description used to be owned by this person for a sum of such and such has now been transferred to this person. And now this person has the deed to this. This new person is now the new owner. It's recorded at the county. The county is public records. Anybody that is interested in knowing what's going on can go to the county and receive that information under the Freedom of Information Act. That is a legal standard of notice called constructive notice. In the ballot, in the Proposition 114, there was a criticism recently that somebody said, "Oh, well, you know, in the in the in the ballot, they never even told anybody there was a, it was going to be a, a a non-game species, and so people didn't vote on that, and they didn't know." Bullshit. That is incorrect. Well, it was just a footnote in there, and it was it just it was just like mentioned in passing. Proposition 114, Blue Book. I'm going to read it because it's not that long. Proposition 114, reintroduction header 114, reintroduction and management of gray wolves. Proposition 114 proposes amending the Colorado statutes to require the state to develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado. Number two, take necessary steps to begin reintroduction by December 31st, 2023. We're going to get to that one again. It said begin reintroduction. The governor interjected that and said pause on the ground by December 31st. And then third, pay fair compensation for livestock losses caused by gray wolves. Again, that governmental taking. They they have to do that. They, They have to. One side of the page, what your vote means. Yes, a yes vote 
Proposition 114 means that the Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission will develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves west of the Continental Divide. No, a no vote on Proposition 114 means that Colorado will not be required to reintroduce gray wolves. Here we go. Summary and analysis of Proposition 114. What happens if Proposition 114 passes? Question mark. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission will be required to develop a plan to reintroduce and manage gray wolves in Colorado by December 31st. Okay, so again, develop a plan by December 31st. The governor, as far as I know, interjected and said, not the plan, pause on the ground by December 31st. On designated lands west of the Continental Divide, hold statewide hearings about scientific, economic, and social considerations, periodically obtain public input to update the plan, again, periodic, and use state funds to assist livestock owners in preventing conflicts with gray wolves and pay fair compensation for livestock losses. What will be included in the plan? The plan will identify gray wolves to be reintroduced to Colorado, as well as the locations, methods, and timing of or timing for reintroduction. The plan will also determine how to establish and maintain a self-sustaining population and the criteria for removing the gray wolf from the state's threatened and endangered species list. The reintroduction may be subject to federal approval. The commission is prohibited from imposing any land, water, or resource use restrictions on private landowners. What is the gray wolf? The gray wolf, Canis lupus, is a large predatory canine that lives in packs. Historically, gray wolves were found throughout North America, including Colorado. Gray wolf populations declined during the 19th and 20th centuries due to human activities such as hunting and trapping and were largely eliminated from the lower 48 states, except for the northern portions of Minnesota and Michigan. This one's big. This one's going to be big later on. <clears throat> They are carnivores that consume small and large prey, including elk and deer, and are able to survive in a range of habitats if, food, if enough food is available. What is the deer and elk population in Colorado? Question mark. Colorado is home about to about 710,000 deer and elk, roughly three-quarters of which live west of the Continental Divide. The size of these herds is impacted by many factors, including disease, hunting, land use, predators, and weather. About 73,000 deer and elk are, were killed in or killed statewide by licensed hunters in 2019. Since 2006, the statewide deer population has declined, while the elk population has remained relatively stable. Where does the gray wolf live today? Question mark. <clears throat> gray wolves in the lower 40 state, 48 states are largely clustered into into in two sorry gray wolves in the lower 48 states are largely clustered in two self-sustaining populations colon about 4000 in the western great lakes region and about 2000 in the northern rocky mountain region okay this is the rmr the northern rocky mountain area okay rma you'll hear people say that or Rocky Mountain region. An additional 60 to 70,000 gray wolves live throughout Alaska and Canada. While there have been confirmed sightings of gray wolves in Colorado in recent years, a self-sustaining population of gray wolves has not been confirmed in Colorado since the 1930s and 1940s. Figure 1 shows the estimated current and historical range of the gray wolf in the United States. 
And in the little pamphlet, here's a handy-dandy little, little graphic of the United States with different little shading areas that shows the historic range and where they are now and the different populations around the Great Lakes and around the northern Rocky Mountain region. Okay, so there you go. And the source of that is adapted from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service proposed rule docket number FWSHAQES-2018-0097 to exclude the Mexican gray wolf, a separately listed entity under the Endangered Species Act, which resides in Arizona, New Mexico, blah. Okay. Question, <clears throat> do gray, gray wolves present dangers to humans? This is in the blue book. This is what voters were given, okay? Do gray wolves present a danger to humans? Question mark. All wild animals, including gray wolves, can pose a danger to humans under certain conditions, and caution should be exercised when near them. Gray wolves are generally shy of people and tend to avoid contact when possible. Aggressive behavior from wild gray wolves towards humans is rare. However, when wild animals are cornered, injured, sick, or become accustomed to humans, they can become dangerous and cause harm. Who manages wildlife in Colorado? Question mark. The Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission is responsible for wildlife management in Colorado and regulates hunting, fishing, and trapping. State law requires wildlife and their environment to be protected, preserved, enhanced, and managed for the use, benefit, and enjoyment of the people and visitors of Colorado. The commission develops recreation areas, wildlife habitat, and species conservation and management plans. How are gray wolves protected and managed in the United States? The Endangered Species Act requires the federal government to conserve and restore species deemed threatened by or in danger of extinction. In 1978, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service listed the gray wolf as endangered throughout the contiguous United States except in Minnesota, where they were classified as threatened. States are prohibited from managing federal endangered species without federal permission. In 1995, gray wolves were reintroduced into the northern Rocky Mountains, and in 2011, they were removed from federal endangered species list in that region. Because of this, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming now have statewide management authority for gray wolves. Now, again, remember when this was written. This is me. Okay, so you remember when this was written prior to this latest round of, of legal stuff. Gray wolves in these states are managed to maintain population above species recovery thresholds while mitigating predation on livestock and sustaining deer and elk herds. These states monitor gray wolf populations and distribution, permit, sorry, start over. These states monitor gray wolf populations and distribution, permit limited hunting and trapping, and allow gray wolves to be killed in order to protect livestock. These states also monitor livestock losses and offer compensation programs for livestock owners. Across these three states, confirmed livestock losses total about 300 per year, mostly consisting of cattle and sheep. Who would, pay, who would manage gray wolves in Colorado if Proposition 114 passes? Question mark. If gray wolves remain on the federal endangered species list, management authority rests with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and the state would need to obtain federal approval prior to reintroduction. If gray wolves are removed from the federal endangered species list, Colorado could assume management responsibility as other states have done. In 2019, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service proposed removing gray wolves from the endangered species list in the remaining portions of the United States, including Colorado. Here is your constructive notice. In a box, highlighting this, right underneath that, it says, and I quote, For information 
on those issue committees that support or oppose the measures on the ballot at November 3, 2020 election. Go to the Colorado Secretary of State's Election Center website hyperlink for ballot and initiative information. And there, in black and white, is the web link. That web link goes straight to the language of Colorado Revised Statute 33-2-105.8. That, my friends, is legal constructive notice. Why did I say that? Now, I could continue to read the proposition. There's, there's it Basically, it says arguments for... <laughs> why not? I'm almost done. Argue, okay, so here we go. A couple paragraphs. Arguments for proper... Proposition 114. Gray wolves perform important ecological functions that impact other plants and animals. Without them, deer and elk can overgraze sensitive habitats such as riverbanks, leading to decline in ecosystem health. Leftover, left, leftover prey can also provide food for other scavengers such as birds and smaller mammals. Reintroducing gray wolves can help support a healthy environment upon which Colorado's depend. Reintroduction is necessary to ensure that permanent gray wolf population is restored to western Colorado. Through eradication efforts such as bounty programs, gray wolves were eliminated in Colorado by the 1940s. While there have been sightings in Colorado, it is uncertain gray wolves will it is uncertain gray wolves will establish a permanent population on their own. The measure aligns with other states' successful recovery efforts while considering Colorado's interests. What are arguments against Proposition 114? The presence of gray wolves can cause conflict with humans and animals that live in Colorado now. Gray wolves are known to prey on livestock. Deer herds in some areas have fallen below population goals established established by state wildlife managers, and introducing another predator would put further pressure on those herds. In addition, many people live and recreate in areas being considered for gray wolf habitat. Number two, gray wolves from neighboring states have been observed in Colorado, including a wolf pack in northwest Colorado in 2020. This suggests that wolves may be establishing a presence in the state on their own making a reintroduction program unnecessary. Allowing wolves to come back on their own rather than through an intentional reintroduction could give Colorado's more time to adapt to their presence. Estimate of fiscal impact for Proposition 114. State spending. Proposition 114 increases state spending by approximately $300,000 in state budget year 2021-2022 and $500,000 in state budget year 2022-23 for public outreach and development of Gray Wolf Reintroduction Plan. Beginning in the state budget year 2023-24, spending will increase to about $800,000 per year for the implementation of the Wolf Reintroduction Plan. Implementation costs will only be incurred if federal approval is received or gray wolves are no longer listed as endangered in the state as be able to begin its reintroduction program, blah, blah, blah. Costs will be paid primarily from hunting and fishing license fees or appropriations made by the state legislature. Actual state spending will depend on the details of the plan developed by Colorado Parks and Wildlife Commission and the amount of livestock losses caused by wolves. End of the blue book. That is what voters were able to read that were mailed to them. But again, what did I say there? The people that are upset about the classification as non-game, uh, we'll get to that here in a minute. They're upset because, well, it was just a footnote. It, it wasn't even, you know, my, no, 
That's wrong. That's incorrect. It's literally an, a line item in the actual bill. The actual proposed bill that was going to be put before the state legislature if this proposal passed. What is that? 33-2-105.8 as follows. Blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The pertinent part is subsection 5. Let's see. Yeah. Subsection 5, D as in dog. No, or excuse me, B as in boy. Quote, unquote, gray wolf means non-game wildlife of the species Canis lupus. It's in black and white in the bill. That was proposed since day one. That was what's in the bill. It's there. Voters were given constructive notice. Voters could have looked at that and seen that and it was it was there from the beginning. I bring all that up because there's some other people that are saying that, again, well, the people of Colorado, you know, didn't realize what they were getting into when they voted for this. Well, I think the Blue Book did a pretty darn good job of given the broad strokes of what the hell the state was getting into. Now, do they are they going to be privy to the sausage making? No. But they have absolute access to all the public meetings and everything that's going on with this plan now and that public the public of Colorado at large has the ability to engage and get involved with this process. Are they involved with it? No. Like very few the only people that are involved with it are the people being negatively, quote-unquote, negatively affected or those people that want wolves and are unhappy with the level of what's going on in the plan. And that's the thing. The plan is not, again, the plan is not to manage for some wolves and keep a high level of hunting. That's not what the plan is, is about. The plan is to, be, to put forth a self-sustaining, standalone population of wolves in Colorado. Well, that's wildly different than just, we want wolves in Colorado. I know that I was guilty of being under the impression of, well, you know, the, the state of Colorado, the, the, the citizens of the state of Colorado just voted in that they want, they want wolves in Colorado. No, it's not that they want wolves in Colorado. It's not what they voted on. They voted on a self-sustaining, ecologically uh, sustaining, viable population. That's not a couple wolves. That's a lot of wolves. Whether we're talking 150 to 200 or like some of the activists want, up to 1,000 wolves. But regardless, that's a lot more wolves than just a couple wolves. All right? The important part about that, this plan is not a plan to manage for some wolves and keep a high level of hunting. I understand that the voters did not know what they might be voting on with regard to the impact of hunting. I don't know if many voters would have cared. This is about a level of sustainable, ecologically significant, independent, standalone population of wolves that has the ability to persist over time, meaning many packs across many areas that are able to interbreed and come, go, rise, fall, expand, subtract, subtract etc., that is going to create a, a, a large impact on the landscape. The advocates know that. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But the advocates know that. 
So those that are, are saying, well, the, well, you know, they're, they're, they're going to negatively impact sportsmen. Okay, and again, value sets. The people that put this forth do not care about hunting. They do not care about recreational hunting. I, I, they don't even care about subsistence hunting. They care about wolves and the and the idea of the ecological process of wolves and what they're going to bring to the table. And quite honestly, many of them are looking forward to the fact that they're the a healthy wolf in their mind, a healthy wolf, a, a high wolf population will self-regulate the ungulate population where there's not going to be the need for that evil trophy hunting or or death by, of ant, elk, deer, and moose by the evil hand of man. Again, this is a value set driven proposition. There's no there's no two ways about that. The agency is directed to take this emotionally charged thing and try to make the best of it and, and keep it within the realms of acceptable science. And that's what they're trying to do. Now, again, I'm not going to go through each part of the plan. It's a big plan. You have access to it. Put some ownership into your understanding of what's going on and read the plan for yourself. Again, I think it's well done. I don't like some of the provisions in it. I don't like some of the of the value sets that that the activists have put put forth. But with, with the constraints that the governor, the commission, and and the the shackled agency have had to deal with, good lord, it ain't that bad. So let's go through some questions that people have sent me that want clarification. All right. <clears throat> People were upset about the funding because the plan is well outside. You know, if you wanted to criticize the ballot initiative, if you wanted to criticize the constructive notice, that's fine. But if you wanted to constrict to criticize anything that the voters voted on that isn't reality today, that's the freaking budget, the fiscal note. The fiscal note that was portrayed to, to the voters of Colorado is grotesquely underrepresented. You want to complain and you want to you want to raise an objection and bring something back to the voters of Colorado? That would be one. Did you think, did you understand that you were going to get into the get into this to the tune of millions just to get this thing off the ground and then take it in the shorts to the tune of tens of millions every year? I think of this if the people of the state actually had an idea of what the fiscal impact was going to be, I think that would have changed some things. So if you want to complain about the proposition 114 language, don't complain about the whether the fact that wolves were considered non-game species right off the bat. Complain about the fiscal note. That'll get you somewhere. The average public of Colorado doesn't give a shit about whether it's game or non wolf is game or non-game. The average public citizen that voted for the proposition probably would might might just damn well care about $800,000 versus, I don't know, tens of millions. That's a little bit of a different ball game. That's where you, that, if you want to argue that, that's where you argue. But you don't argue in front of the commission. You argue that at the legislature or you argue that in front of another ballot box. But I digress. Funding. People are bitching and complaining that this doesn't have adequate funding. No shit. You're not telling the agency folks anything that they don't know. Number one. If you listen to the agency folks, almost every meeting, it comes up and they say repeatedly, we don't have the money for this. We don't have the money for that. We don't know we're going to get the money for that. And hopefully the state legislature, they outline the budget shortfalls repeatedly. The agency is telling the commission, we don't have the money and the, the money needs to be there. 
it is up to the commission now to either listen to that or ignore it and just go ahead with an unfunded mandate. If the commission is listening to it, which it sounds like they are at least half-assed, if you, if, if you, depending on who you listen to, they're going to have to go to the state legislature and ask for those monies to be appropriated. Given the fact that the state legislature is left-leaning, given the fact that the state legislature is what is mandating the commission to do these things, it would not surprise me for the state legislature, at least in the short term, to go ahead and appropriate those funds in these coming years. So I know for a fact, I know that there's no money in, like, there's no money in the current budget to do any of this shit. Yeah, you're not telling anybody anything new. The agency knows it. They're They're spelling it out repeatedly to the commission. The commission knows it. The problem is the people of Colorado said, you shall do this, and it became law. Well, You can do it without the money or you can do it with the money. They're going to hope that they can do it with the money. But guess what? If they don't get the money, uh, they're going to do it anyway. Now, here's the thing. I asked this as well. There are some people that are upset about the fact that because there is no money, that the plan calls for the need for outside revenue alternative revenue streams to pay for the wolf engagement. The plan calls for it and the wolf advocates call for outside funding. And they're calling even possible private endowments. If you look, I've got written down here page 65 and 66, um, probably the SAG, it's probably, probably the SAG portion of the packet. In commission meetings and in the plan, They are setting up the need for alternative wildlife funding source. What have I told you repeatedly about some of what was going on in Colorado, especially around the Upper Eagle River elk herd, around Vail, Minturn, and all that? If you followed me for any length of time, I told you what's going to happen with that study. And and the, the, the agency preemptive determination that human recreation is causing negative impacts. Why did I say it was going to? Because they need alternative funding. That's before this wolf thing was going to get put in play. The agency has been wanting outside funding. I asked you, sportsman, I asked, Concerning who pays for the North American model of wildlife conservation. Funding for wildlife conservation slash management. Choice A, sportsmen should provide a bulk of the funding. That was 63% of the votes. B, sportsmen should provide about 50% of the funding. That was 25% of the votes. Sportsmen should provide 30% of the funding. 7% of the votes. It's someone else to pay for it. 4% of the votes. So right there, uh, uh, 36, so yeah, th- was that 36%? 36% of the people of that poll believed that 50% or more, this is sportsmen that are my followers, the you, people like you that follow my Instagram page, this is who's 
responding here. Not advocates, not or not wolf advocates or whatever. This this is you guys, you that are listening to my voice now, that follow me on Instagram. I polled you in my story, Instagram stories. This is from you. 36% of you believe that the state should be getting 50% or more of their funding from outside sources, not sportsman dollars. Here you go. The wolf advocates are calling for it in the plan. The agency has recognized they're going to need outside funding. The Wildlife Commission un- identifies that they need outside funding. And they're trying to set up an alternative wildlife funding source. Very similar to what you find in the platform of Wildlife for All. Wildlife for All wants to completely upend and reshape the North American model of wildlife conservation. They want to remove the consumptive use portion of it. They want to remove the sportsman contribution or at least greatly reduce it. Everybody's pissed off about the advocates, the, the, the wolf advocates here, and they're pissed off that this is going to set up some mechanism by wolf advocates are now going to be paying for wildlife management. And if that's the case, then then sportsman dollars are going to be diminished and, and sportsmen are not going to have as loud of a voice on the table. You're absolutely correct. This is why I don't believe, I, I think sportsmen need to continue to pay the vast majority of uh, funds to wildlife agencies. But for those that want to stand on the, the, the pedestal of the North American model of wildlife conservation and say, hashtag hunting is conservation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and you want to throw stones at the advocates uh, and the, the wolf advocates and the animal rights people that want to have alternative funding sources for the Division of Wildlife or, or wildlife agencies, I hope, I hope you also have a quiver full of ammunition uh, of arrows that you want to sling or a pocket or a, a little satchel full of stones you want to throw at, mm, I don't know, organizations like the National Wildlife Federation, Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. I don't know, sportsmen's organizations that are actively in Washington right now are, are arguing that we need alternative funding for sportsmen or, or excuse me, for wildlife conservation. They're going to Washington right now advocating for bills in Washington, going to the federal government and the the Biden administration right now, and they're advocating for alternative funding sources for conservation. If you don't want alternative funding sources for this wolf plan because you don't want advocates to have power, I hope you are going to castigate the other quote-unquote sportsmen's organizations that are doing the same damn thing. Oh, but by the way, in your name. They're going to Washington saying that sportsmen want alternative funding funding sources. That sportsmen are advocating for this. And if you're a member of those organizations, that's where your money's going. So don't get mad at the wolf advocates for trying to find outside funding sources for their, their pet project here because sportsmen's organizations are going out there and doing the exact same damn thing for their pet projects. So have some intellectual integrity and, and honesty and, and throw stones in all directions if that's, if that's the case. Otherwise, for those of you that think that we need alternative funding, great. At least let the wolf advocates have their day. Let them start pitching their money, get some endowments or whatever, and put their money on the, on the, on the landscape. Just remember, careful what you wish for. Unintended consequences, baby. I don't even want to know what that looks like. 36% of sportsmen in the row hunting resources community, the followers wanted alternative funding sources. Well, here you go. 
Here's one. They'll find it. They'll find it. Because it's a progressive ideology. And it's an environmental-leaning ideology and value set. They will wait until it becomes a crisis mode. And they will use that quote-unquote crisis as a fundraiser. They will get the money. Whether it's from the state legislature or from private outside interests, they'll get the money. They'll get the money they need. They may not get the money to, you know, to offset elk and deer habitat improvement projects, which the, the plan calls for, which we can talk about at a later date. But they'll get the money that they need for monitoring, putting collars on them, for law enforcement to make sure people aren't doing anything with them. They'll, they'll, get, the, they'll get the bare minimum for the, the money that they need for what they value in the plan. Don't mark my words. Never let a crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis go to waste. They'll get the money. They'll figure it out somewhere. Somewhere. Sportsmen might take it in the shorts. Absolutely. They don't give a crap about that. And that's the thing. You, you, people need to make sure that they understand. Make no, de- Have no delusions about what this is about. This is not about you. This is absolutely against you. The sportsman community is going to take it in the shorts on this. No two ways about it. The train has left the station. The, the train is less, largely has left the station. Some of you are out there just trying to argue. You're on the Titanic. The Titanic is going down, and you're arguing about the deck chairs and who's playing the violin and whether or not you can get another bowl of shrimp cocktail. Another question. How many wolves are going to be in the state? There's no management plan. The phase three, phase four, blah, 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 blah. All right, how many wolves are going to be in the plan? Good question. Because I, I I don't care, again, what I say in the beginning, I don't care that the plan right now calls for 30 to 50 wolves with a total of 150 to 200 wolves for for a, 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 a downgrading or, or a classification of being recovered and downgrading off of the state endangered, threatened and endangered list. What did I say in the beginning? The agency knows, the commission knows, and the activists know. This is a living, breathing document. They can change at any moment. The state of Colorado has engaged in reintroduction efforts in the past, and it's gone the same way. It's like packing for a trip. What's the old adage, packing for a trip, a vacation? Get, get everything packed, and then take half the clothes and and get twice the money. Like That's what your vacation is going to require. Half the clothes and twice the money. Reintroduction efforts are always going to take more animals than what you thought. It's going to take longer than what you thought. It's going to take a hell of a lot more money than you thought. So this idea that it's 30 to 50 wolves over this X amount of number of years and then the recovery threshold is going to be 150 wolves or maybe 200 wolves at any given bubble. You guys don't put too much stock in that. This commission plan, this commissioned plan is not binding it's a guideline for now. That's the proposed plan. They're not going to know what the actual number are until we get years into this. And my gut tells me that the activists who are already challenging that number, they're already challenging it, are going to be pushing for way more wolves than that. Upwards of a thousand. When I say 
again, people wanted to stand on the science. They, they don't want this ballot box initiative stuff. They want science-based stuff. Again, there are papers, there are scientific papers out there. We can argue about the credibility. We can argue about the statistical significance. We can argue about whether there's bias in the, the study or the paper or blah, 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 whether the conclusions were correct or not. It doesn't matter. The, the matter is <clears throat> there are peer-reviewed published papers out there that suggest that in order to have an ecologically sustainable, independent population, you have to have way, 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 way more wolves than just 150 to 200. And do you think that the activists aren't hanging their hat on the, the studies that show that you need 750, 800, 1,000 wolves? Hell no. The commission packet is a guiding principle. It is fluid. It is non-binding. Do not get caught up in the number of wolves that they're proposing to put on the landscape now. You you can say you want to that you can let, let me put it this way. <clears throat> I ad, I I would say go ahead and advocate for that to be the standard. Because that is the scientific standard that the Twig Technical Working Group came up with. But do not get butt hurt over the fact that it may get violated later on and there's way more wolves in the state. I'm telling you there's going to be more way, way more wolves in the state later on. You can take a lesson from the lynx reintroduction. What happened with that? A hell of a lot more lynx needed to be trapped and reintroduced than what was proposed. It took a hell of a lot more money and it took a hell of a lot more time. But just like this one, the lynx reintroduction was a legacy program. That was somebody's legacy. That was somebody's pet pet project, somebody's individual value set. <clears throat> because of that, there is no failure. And, and we're going to get to that statement here in a minute. If my voice holds out. Like I said, these past 10 days have been good, Lord. <clears throat> okay, how many wolves, no management plan, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, remember, planning is a living, breathing document, number one. Number two, it's best available science. Again, that number... That is it's being challenged right now, and there's science to suggest it needs to be much, much higher than what's in the plan. Make no bones about it. The drivers of the plan are not hunter-friendly and are unhappy with the Yellowstone herd hunting. It, the, the northern Rocky Mountain wolf recovery plan, ma state management action plan, they, they are pissed off about the hunting of wolves in the northern Rocky Mountains. This is their time. This is their opportunity. This is their moment to shape and make wolf and ungulate management in the lower 40, 48 states under their ideological image. That's what this is about. It is about a direct retaliation for what was going on in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. When I say unintended consequences, and why I get pissed off with the sportsman community, especially like, for instance, the shit, shove, shit shoveling, or shoot shoveling, yeah, shit, it doesn't matter, shoot shovel and shut up. Those people that are out there talking like that, or that are out there, or of the same mindset, or they're out there in the social media showing, demonstrating that type of mentality on the landscape with the critters are going after. And the public dialogue that was being driven during that time with people that just did not want wolves, that hated wolves. 
the unintended consequence of you pissing those people off egregiously without strategic planning and foresight has directly contributed to Colorado being in the position it is today. Because the activists that were wolf advocates saw their displeasure what was going on in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. They saw an opportunity in Colorado and they seized it. They look at Colorado wolf management, ungulate management now is their opportunity to reshape what that looks like. And this is their time. They had the, they had the governor that was going to be sensitive to it. They had the, the social distraction during COVID to help it. They had a, a, a vulnerable populace that they could market to. They barely eked it through. Here we go. Here we go. Make no bones about that this is not about a balance for sportsmen and, and wildlife and, and wolf. No, this is not. This is about setting wolves in the in the western in, in Colorado and allowing wolves to do the primary ungulate management on the landscape, period. People are, oh, there's no management plan. There's there's no, you know, what happens when they of course there's not. Why? Why? Again, this is why I hammer value sets. Understanding ideology. Again, I'm going to hammer. I've got a two-hour freaking video in YouTube talking about this. This is why I hammer this all the time. You have to understand the value set and the ideology of the people that you're engaging with. These people, of course, there's no management plan that the sportsmen would find that sportsmen would find acceptable. Again from a pure statistics and science standpoint. There's only so much that an agency and wildlife biologist can predict with the elk, deer, moose numbers and populations we have in Colorado and the habitats that they're in with relation to the human uh, interaction with all of it and the private land use okay we have a unique situation here in Colorado that is wildly different from what was in Idaho Wyoming and Montana we are not those states so our biologists and the the technical working group can only predict so much of what they think is going to happen and then provide recommendations or just nebula. Again, people say, oh, it just falls apart and there's no, you know, from phase three into phase four, there's really no, it's all may language and shall and could and possibly and but. Of course there is. Of course. Number one, they haven't gotten there yet and they don't even know what the freaking thing looks like as far as a statistical, uh, what is it, viable pop, uh, pop, population viability analysis, PVA. Population viability analysis or, or viable viable population. They don't know what that's going to look like, how that's going to manifest itself on the landscape. So how do they come up with an actual definitive management plan that is in set in stone when they don't know what the actual recovery actually is going to look like? Number one. Number two, remember the agency can make a recommendation. The SAG can make a recommendation. The TWIG can make a recommendation, but it's only going to be, the recommendation is only going to be that compromise that comes out of of the SAG group and the technical working group. And the SAG group pushed back hard on some of this. The wolf advocates on the SAG group pushed back hard on this language. Why? Because they put in the freaking Colorado Revised Statute that the wolf was going to be a non-game species. This is why they got so pissed off or, or, or they are so pissed off and already working at marketing the message, the public messaging of the Colorado public to stand firm on the non-game designation. 
non-game designation of the species was written in the original revised statute. There what in their mind, and when they when they wrote it, there was no phase four. We're going to turn it loose into recreational hunting. No, this entire pro this entire plan, the entire emphasis about putting wolves on the landscape in Colorado was to preclude what was going on in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. Of course, there's no plan, no no plan that sportsmen are going to find uh, uh, acceptable. I'm sorry. This is this is literally what is Captain Phillips? Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now, right? Remember, remember that that literally the animal activists now are are the pirates. Look at me. Look at me. We control ungulate management now. That that's that's what this is about. The management plan. Their management plan. And the reason why all this may and could and possibly and all this nebulous stuff, because honestly, their management plan is to allow, I'm telling you right now, what it, their management plan is to allow wolves to expand to the ecological limit while providing for livestock compensation. That's it. That's their management. The deer, elk, and moose population will manage and limit wolf numbers. Mark my words. Write this down on a calendar that I said so this date. Because that is their idea of the management. Lethal control. When if it's in in you know, if it's damn you know, if it, it's harassing hikers or injured a person or or it's it's too problematic for a cattle herd or whatever like that, okay, there's limited applicability for you know lethal management in that regard. But recreational hunting? No. Nope. That would nope. That'll that'll never fly. That'll never fly. It's never gonna fly especially at the commission level. You can argue until you're blue in the face in the commission level. They're never going to go for it. The only way you're going to get that is to go to the legislature. You have to go to above them. You can't... Anyway, we'll we'll get to more here in a minute. The reason why the language is what the language is is because the wolf advocates pushed back that hard and they do not want recreational hunting. They put in the law that they are non-game species, that means that there is no hunting of those species, which means you're limited on what you can do. In their mind, good. Because that means that ecological processes will regulate wolf populations, not recreational hunting. Not an arbitrary, and this is the other thing that you're going to hear them say, that they stand up against. They don't want an arbitrary limitation on the number of wolves for recovery. Because they don't want to artificially lower the number of wolves that could ecologically be in Colorado. They want the maximum level of ecological sustainability of wolves in the state. That ecological sustainability, just like I've advocated before and I've talked about before in other podcasts, with hunters and our our carrying capacity is managed by the number of deer and elk and and game species we have on the landscape to pursue. That is the exact same thing. They are replacing hunters with wolves, period. They can give you all the lip service they want about mixed use and multiple use and balancing, blah, blah, blah. Sure, because there will always be some level of hunting on the landscape. It might be 10% of what we know and, and appreciate and enjoy today, but there's still hunting on the landscape, isn't there? Again, though, you cannot get lim- you cannot get your head wrapped around an axle about the fact that the plan has no management plan. 
The, the, the wolf reintroduction and management plan has very, very weak language in the plan because we're not talking about reaching that point for many, many years. Let's just say three years on the on the on the the aggressive side, maybe five years down the road. But regard regardless, you're going to be dealing with a different wildlife commission. The only time that you're going to have a, a traction at a commission to enforce some artificial imposition of a limit of wolves on the landscape is if you have a change in the governor who is a more constrained-minded person that is more processed and has a balanced outlook on things that puts that appoints a more balanced wildlife commission that is sensitive to listening to those numbers and that wildlife commission then under the the guidance of that commission and enforcement of that commission can put a cap on on wolves but guess what folks the wolf advocates are going to instantly sue at that point put an injunction on it and it's going to be tied up in courts just like it was in idaho montana and wyoming you're getting your heads wrapped around a, a political axle that is number one meaningless in the context of this this commission led plan, and then the functional reality is it'll be immediately challenged and put and be thrown right into courts. So, what? What? Why? Why are all you're doing right now are arguing for hunting in phase four or arguing that you know? demanding that sportsmen have consideration in this management, blah, blah, blah. All you're doing is pissing off the the the, advocate, the wolf advocates and, and providing no constructive movement at, at all in the, in the dialogue. That type of conversation needs to be taken to the legislature. Or you have to wait until you have a better, a more sympathetic commission, which is going to be years from now. But you can't even do that until we get to the point where the agency says... Guys, we've got plenty of wolves. They are really healthy, and we think we need they can be pulled from the endangered species list. Then, once the activists sue to try to combat that, and then when the agency wins in court and overturns that, then and only then can you have a discussion of whether or not there's actually going to be a hunting season on it. Whether there's a designation in there now is irrelevant. In the commission packet is irrelevant because it's already set in stone in the in the legislative in the in 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 33 to 105.8. You're going to have to change that in legislation first. Then you're going to have to have a conversation at the commission level. Someday. Good luck. Again, no one's going to come to save you. No one is going to come. Again, I'm talking to the Colorado folks. Colorado, you're on your own. Colorado citizens, you're on your own. The agency is handcuffed and they've got a, a gag in their mouth. They have a, They can't help you. The commission and the advocates and the governor are not on your side. And quite honestly, the general people of the state mm, might be on your side if you have a, a, a valid and well-crafted message. You're, you're tilting against windmills on some of this stuff. Again, we are not Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana. We don't have the state fighting on our behalf. This is up to us. Us, meaning you, Colorado, Colorado folks. The other question was, is, you know, how long is this going to go on? How long are they going to be re, re, you know, releasing these? And, and blah, 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 blah. And they're going to continue until the people of Colorado say otherwise. Period. And when I say people of Colorado, either the people of Colorado elect a more conservative-minded governor, and that governor appoints conservative-minded 
and I'm not talking about a Republican. I'm just talking, you could have a conservative Democrat, but I'm just saying conservative-minded commission, and that com- that commission takes recommendations from the agency and the agency, and then therefore they, they go that route. But again, you're still going to have to change the legislative body or legislative language in 33.2.105.8. So you're going to have to have a legislature. This is not going to change until you have a legislature that is willing to overturn that provision in 105.8 going from game to non-game, or from, sorry, 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 non-game to, to, to game, or even just non-game to whatever the commission and agency shall decide. That That's fair. You're going to have to have a change in the legislature. You're going to have to, and, and or you're going to have to have a change in the governor, and or you're going to have to have another ballot initiative, and, and then the people of the, the state vote. That's, that's, how, that's how that's going to change. That's how long it's going to go. This is going to continue until these, those things are met. Because they will find the money. <clears throat> and they will challenge the, the minimum numbers that the agency has, has already identified. Another, uh, okay, there's another suite of, cu- of questions that came in. What about elk, deer, moose populations is kind of generally that theme. Um, a bunch of you. And then what about what about hunters? What about hunter numbers, etc.? Um what about the no lethal control ever? What about, you know, the, some people are upset. It seems like it's a one-way compromise. <coughs> of course it's a one-way. It, there's no compromise. Yeah, of course it's a one-way compromise. Well, what about, what about elk and deer and moose populations? What about hunters? What about hunter numbers? If I want to be a cold asshole, I'd be like, okay, what about them? <laughs> what about them? This is, this is about letting the, the the ballot initiative itself says it, and the plan itself, the wording. Of, if you pay attention to what the plan says in its word, I mean, like it says and spells it out. In it, this is about letting wolves back onto the landscape to affect natural processes, to take control of those natural processes, be the driver of those natural processes. So you know damn well what's going to... You, you can ask the people in Idaho, Wyoming, and in Montana, what happened to, to localized moose populations in certain areas? What happened to localized elk populations in certain areas? What happened to uh, for deer populations in certain areas? Again, when you read the plan, you have to read for what... The, literally read it. Don't just skim it. Read it. Understand what it's saying. The plan is talking about populate... Colorado level deer, elk, moose numbers, the overall state population levels, they're predicting now with the numbers that the agency, the the TWIG, the technical working group has come up with in the plan as it is now, the impact to statewide numbers, overall elk, deer, and moose population numbers is minimal. You'll, we'll be losing several thousand animals annually to wolves. But from a statewide standpoint, that's not a big impact. We know, however, from what we've seen in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and other places, that regionally, there could be massive impacts. So, there's going to be places where elk are just absolutely decimated. There are going to be entire regions where elk are complete, come absolutely wildly change their behavior. 
There are going to be complete, there are going to be regions where moose populations are absolutely decimated. And I would not be surprised if some of the, the moose populations we enjoy today and, and huntable units absolutely are driven to extinction. Absolutely. There are going to be regional impacts. Just like up in the, in the northern Rocky Mountain region, there were catastrophic regional impacts. But from a statewide level, somewhat arguably minimal, negligible, minor, whatever you want to put it. But, but that's at the level that the agency has identified now. Again, what did I tell you before? The advocates want more. And there is science to suggest more is needed. So you're going to see challenges come down the line within the realm of the commission. It is to the purview of the commission how to enact this plan on the landscape. There's going to be those that are going to argue for more wolves. And if the, if the activists and the advocates get more wolves on the ground and go into the, the realm of thou, a thousand wolves, pushing that whatever, you know what's going to happen. But to them, that's nature's way. The balance in the ecosystem has been restored. Remember, to their value set, humans are an outside influence that is nothing but negative and that should, to the greatest extent, be removed from the, from the ecosystem function. Humans do not have a, a role in many of their value sets. Humans do not have a consumptive use role anymore. And if they get their way with this plan, this will reduce the amount of human in- involvement necessary to manage ungulates in the state of Colorado. So you know what's going to happen to hunter numbers. You know what's going to happen to over-the-counter hunting units. You know what's going to happen to living to draw units. You you intrinsically know this in your heart and soul and mind. You don't have to like it. Just start wrapping your head around and chew on it. Because that's reality. For them, wolves are a vital and natural part of the system. Hunters are not. Remember, wolves and wolf-ungulate interaction, that's natural, it's nature's way, that is the acceptable and desirable trophic cascade, you'll hear that being used, the trophic cascade that wolves bring to the balance of the, you know, basically wolves in their mind being put on the landscape ushers in a, 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 a period of rainbows and unicorns and lollipops for everyone where we all get to sit around and sing kumbaya and, and hold hands and that I mean that literally there are some that believe that like that, like getting wolves on the landscape is gonna is gonna solve all our our ecological ills. That's what they believe. Remember what they think about hunters. Hunters are outside of it, and hunters what recreate. It's recreational hunting. Colorado does not have a hunt a right to hunt statute. We have no constitutional anything. It, it was tried before and it failed, but there is no constitutional anything. And again, though, for those people that are saying, well, we should, blah, 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 blah. Okay. If you reduce hunting as you know it right now by 90%, the general public and the advocates and the agency and the commission, everybody will say, you still have hunting on the landscape. You just now exist in this new balance with this new apex predator. Period. So, so again, what is your like? You you don't like the fact that we're gonna have you. You don't like the 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 new situation. Okay, what do you want to do about it? Make a case. Like, where is your interest? How, make a case that you have an interest that is greater than the wolf. 
I'm, I'm not being an asshole here. I'm just saying I'm, th- you need to think about how are you going to make your case before the public, before the advocates, before the Wildlife Commission, before the people of the state of Colorado. How are you going to make your case that your public interest, your, your consumptive use interest should be considered greater than the wolf? Again, I lean that way. I'm telling you, Colorado citizens, you're going to have to figure out how to make that argument that is meaningful to those people that are hearing you make that argument. Uh, hunting, you know, people, okay, hunting, you know, hunting's going to suffer, blah, blah, blah. Okay, again, the agency manages for wildlife for the state. When you look at statewide numbers, according to the agency, the the initial projections, which we know are probably conservative and lowballed, the impacts are going to be minimal. Although we know there are going to be regional impacts. Again, though, there the agency in the commission is charged with managing for all the people in the state, all the wildlife in the state, border to border to border, not just game management units, and not just for certain consumptive user groups, period. And then there were some that along this line, there were those people that complained that was like, well, this is a mismanagement of the agency. Uh, this is mismanagement of wildlife resources by a, a non-native uh, invasive critter, blah, 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 blah. No, come on. No, 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 no. Wrong. I, I, I understand. Listen, I understand your frustration. I understand you don't like it. That argument is absolutely abject wrong. There's plenty of evidence to suggest that wolves lived in the state. Again, they have documented that wolves used to be here. They were extirpated out of the state by the 1940s. Wolves used to be here. We know that we've got wolves in the state now that moved into, they're doing, no, that it, I understand your value set and your point of view, but that is a dead end if you're going to try to take that message to the Wildlife Commission. You're just going to come across sounding like an idiot and you're just going to piss people off. They're just going to ignore you. They're just going to ignore you. Someone asked about, given the fact that they're going to impact deer, elk, and moose, why not bring bison in? Because if we're going to bring wolves in, wolves used to prey on bison, blah, 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 blah. Okay, hold on. We don't have an ecosystem habitats like you have Idaho, Wyoming, and, and, and Montana. The vast majority of our lands are forested timberlands, that are national forest with a little bit of grasslands in there or lower elevation grasslands that might be in BLM or most of them are going to be in private property and most of those are going to be used for cattle grazing and and cattle ranching. No way in hell. Do we, number one, we don't have the grasslands west of I-25. No, we don't. We we don't have the grasslands to support a bison herd. A wild, free-ranging, self... Again, we're talking about self-sustaining, ecologically significant, you know, persistent bison herd in Colorado that could be used to offset prey base for wolves. We we just... we, we we, We don't even have the habitat. We don't have the ecosystem. And we darn sure don't have the private land... Um political, socio-economical landscape to ever allow that to happen. So they're going to eat cows, cattle, elk, moose, 
deer. Uh, but, 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 which should be said, don't get me wrong. Oh, the advocates would love to have that. Many of them believe that cattle are, inv- are the invasive species on the landscape, that cattle should not even be considered in this plan, and that bison should be, like, there, don't get me wrong, there's advocates that would love to say, fine, get rid of all cattle grazing, get rid of all cattle, and let's bring back bison and blah, blah, blah. The advocates are all for that, many of them, but we just there's just no way we could ever juggle that. Uh, I touched on it before. How long will? And there were several of you that wanted to know how either how long will it how long until it impacts moose populations, or the other one was how badly is it going to impact moose populations? It's going to be regionally. It's going to be when the moose pop when the moose moose when the wolf pack stumbles upon the moose, start the clock start the clock um it's so there's some moose populations that are exceedingly healthy diverse have a lot of uh, uh dispersal immigration emigration in and out of the state and other habitats with other big moose populations which will have some persistence but we have some moose populations in the state in areas where we're talking about wolf reintroduction where it's a smaller isolate it's more of a, a smaller population somewhat geographically isolated from other dispersal and immigration it would not surprise me to see in some areas localized extirpa- extermination of moose in those areas where wolf wolves just take them out um it's just in some some smaller populations, I think it's a matter of time. But it all depends on whether the, the wolves stumble upon them and, and decide to settle into those areas. <clears throat> Chronic wasting disease. This one came up a couple times. Um, some of you probably asked it because of what I've talked about with chronic wasting disease out here and what I what we were doing with our coyote management or no coyote management out here. Um, it is not the, the agency did not dive into it aggressively and I, I understand why because there's not a lot of good sound like definitive science on it but honestly I could I could see where wolves would possibly help limit CWD now again I know that I stop yelling at your phone I know there are some people that say no wolves are going to eat the elk like eat a, an infected animal and have those prions in its digestive tract, and it's going to go 150 miles away, and then poop on the landscape, and then the prions are going to be on the landscape, and the wolves are going to spread the CWD because wolves can move, you know, 150 miles. Could like could that happen? Like I guess. I mean, yeah, technically, yeah. <clears throat> but what's more likely is a wolf pack is going to set up a territory. And if and they're then those wolves are going to stay within that territory, and if they come across a CWD positive animal in that territory, just like we see out on the landscape here with our whitetails, and what evidence it was scientific evidence is showing that even before that animal is at clinical CWD stages, it can start to manifest behavioral changes, outwardly outwardly act differently, behaviorally from the rest of the herd deer, elk, whatever. And those predators will pick up on that change in behavior immediately. Like it like out here a deer starts if they even if they just start not firing on all cylinders, they're just a little slower to react or they just are they 
the, the coyotes have got them and they're done. The coyotes, they can see that, they can identify it, and they take them down. I think that you're going to see the exact same thing with wolves. The, the wolves are territorial. They're going to set up a pack. They're going to set up a home range, and they're generally going to stay within that home range, and they're going to consume the, the, the critters that are in that home range. If ungulates are in that home range, and if ungulates have CWD, uh, yes, the wolf is going to munch that critter. But most likely you already have CWD in that area. Now, I understand. Could you take, say, let's, let, hypothetically, imagine a sheet of paper, okay? Just looking at a sheet of note paper. Take that, that sheet of note paper, the outer edges of that sheet of note paper are, is the wolf, is, is a wolf pack boundary, their territory, hundreds of square miles. Split the, the paper lengthwise left and right in half. On the left side, on the left side of the paper, you have one elk population. On the right side of the paper, you have another elk population, or deer population, whatever. On the right side of the paper, you have you have a little bit of chronic wasting disease starting to show up in that population. On the left side of the paper, there is no chronic wasting disease uh, documented as of yet. Now, granted, if you were talking about the interior of a wolf pack home range, you could have dispersal of elk or deer or moose in that same general area. So I'm not saying what I'm about to say is not necessarily contingent upon the wolf. I'm just saying if there's a little bit of detection of CWD in the right hand elk population and the wolves kill that elk and they consume that elk and while that elk biome and really it's going to be bone marrow that type of stuff. Well, I guess I can't say that. I don't know how, how prions go through a, 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 a carnivore digestive system. Let's just say there's prions in that digestive system of that wolf. And then for some stupid freaking reason, like that wolf just takes off and goes right to the other side of his, his home range in 24 hours before it can poop out those prions. And then it goes over to the left or the left side of the of, of the home range into that other elk and deer herd and poops out over there. And now it just pooped out prions in the landscape. Could it be exacerbating the spread of CWD? Okay, in that case, yeah. But it, but at that point, you're going to have to get transmission from those prions and that wolf scat into the system of a deer, elk, or moose. Can are is it likely that there's going to be cross contamination from Wolf scat into deer, elk, or moose? I have no idea. And I don't think there's any data to, or any research to suggest that. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Talk to the CWD experts. So it can go both ways. My my te- my take is on it's probably, it, it could probably help more than hurt, but I don't know. that That's just my gut right now. Um, and that's the thing is because remember, CWD is spread density dependent where, where you, you've got a lot of critters in, a, in an area and it's spread that way, or it's also... Um, frequency dependent where it just over time like repeated exposure to the same individual animal or, or this tiny little area so it doesn't even have to have a lot of animals but generally speaking the prescription right now to reduce the likelihood of CWD spread on the landscape is to reduce the population of male individuals in the ungulate population that has the CWD will wolves do that if 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 those male if CWD positive animals are manifest on the landscape? Absolutely. So they're going to reduce population numbers anyway. They're going to scatter those elk across the landscape more. You're not going to have these gargantuan herds. Same thing with deer. You're going to have smaller, isolated populations likely. 
all of these things probably help reduce CWD rather than exacerbate it. But again, that's just hypothetical based on behavior and, and what we know now. Who, who knows what the study is going to be in the future? Uh, here we go. Other ones. Struggling elk herds already. Uh, affects elk movement. Um, pages 70 from the SAG part. Pages 71 through 75. Ungulate management, enhancement. Okay, there was a lot of people that were, were wondering, okay, what about the, the elk herds already? So if you look around the Vale, uh, Eagle River Valley, uh, Eagle Valley, you know, that herd is, that elk herd is already struggling. And that is one of the areas that they're talking about reintroducing wolves. Isn't that going to uh, exacerbate the situation? Of course it will. Like that, come on, that, that, of course it will, you know, it will. The question is, is if you put elk or excuse me, if you put moose, wow, it's getting tired. My, oof. The question is, is if you put wolves in that area and the elk population is so low that the wolves don't want to stick there, will the wolves even stay or are they wolves just going to move and go over to the flat tops or whatever? Or they're going to go up and over the mountain, and they're going to go down above Silverthorn or or Dillon and all that type of area, and and some of the private property up through that. You know, are they are they going to stay in an area where you don't have a, a robust elk population? Probably not. If they do stay there, the population, the wolf population, isn't going to grow that fast. It's not going to be as big. It's going to be it's going to be habitat and food limited. So, of course, it's going to negatively affect the animals that are currently existing there. But you have to think, the wolves aren't going to stay where they're just going to starve to death. They're going to pick up their, they're going to go where they feel like they can find better food. So they may not even stay there, regardless of whether that's included within the management plan or not, as the, as the release site area or not. Now, ungulate management, enhancement, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm looking at my notes. So the other part of that is, okay. So if they do stay and and they can find a balance in that elk herd, and they can make all that means is, well, maybe we don't have elk hunting in that area because the wolves are keeping them in check at the that the because the herd is if the herd is currently at a level to where it's limited on what we can do with human hunting, recre recreational hunting. Wolves come in and start to put the same or greater pressure on that elk population. Then absolutely I can see where that game management unit no longer offers elk hunting or at a greater reduced rate, uh, uh, you know, tag numbers, cow elk hunting is gone, late season hunting gone. Maybe there's only one particular season, you know, it's just going to be greatly reduced. And again, we can complain about it all we want, but from the wolf advocate perspective, that's awesome because ecological processes are greater of a, of greater importance than human recreational hunting. So if the wolves are in there and they're helping balance that herd, great. So, um, for me, when you start getting into the uh, the enhancement, where the Division of Wildlife says we're going to man, okay, there's two parts in that plan, and I think it's lip service. I'm not putting too much stock in it because I don't see much traction this way. Anyway, so there's a portion in there that says that they're going to be, you know, enhancing, you know, elk, po elk, deer, and moose populations, doing habitat and you know enhancement and working to en enhance the elk. Po Bullshit. The only way that that's even going to, I don't, let's not even talk about whether or not from a forest, because it's going to be on forest service, pro, it's going to, at a scale that it's going to be, in, it, here's the thing. 
at a scale that is going to be ecologically significant enough to increase the productivity of an elk population in the face of wolf predation and bear and lion. You're going to talk you're talking about large scale massive habitat significant habitat improvement that takes millions of dollars. And at that scale, now you could find some private property and private ranches that are going to be able to 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 allow some maybe maybe some of that to happen. Absolutely. But across the range of the wolf across the the state of Colorado, the vast majority of that habitat enhancement that they're talking about to increase the elk population and deer population and moose population to provide for additional forage resources for wolves is going to have to have it happen on federal public land. And in order to happen, that's going to take an, almost a, a, an act of Congress, number one. Number two, the scale is immense. It's going to take tens of millions of dollars that the agency already doesn't have. The only way that they're, they're going to be able to... In, to live up to this again it's not a promise this document is not binding this is what they want to do there's no part or provision that I'm aware of now maybe I'm wrong I don't know of any provision that I'm aware of where this plan is going to go then to the legislature and be in like being put into you know 105.8 point blah as as exhibit A of this it's not going into the legislative Register. This is a commission document guiding the, the the agency. So it's non-binding. This is what they're saying that they want to do. Okay, fine. There's no way they have the money to do it. They don't even have the money to do the wolf part that they need. And if they do get the money to do the wolf part that they need, do you understand how much money on other places they're going to need? No way. I, I, I read that part and people are getting hung up about it. And I'm like, stop. Stop getting hung up about that because I don't think we'll ever see it. I don't think they'll ever get the money to do it. I don't think they'll ever even be able to physically do it at the scale that is necessary because at that point you're dealing with other political entities, the national or the Forest Service and the BLM, and which means then it has to go to public comment for the entire nation. Like, come on. You have to understand the process and you have to understand what you're reading. I know they put it in there because it needs, I'm, I, and I guarantee that came out of the SAG portion of it, and I guarantee that was a platitude that that that, that the the advocates made of, oh, we could do this, we could do that, and we could, and, and the agency was like, yeah, sure, okay, yeah, yeah we, sure, yeah, we can do that. No way. And then the other portion of that that said, <clears throat> quote, we'll manage elk, deer, moose numbers at the upper end of population densities. <laughs> You don't have to ask what that means. Read it. The agency will manage these areas at the upper end of population densities. Meaning, wolves get priority on consumptive use of the the ungulate resource. Hunters take a back seat. They are going to have to reduce hunter numbers and tag numbers in these areas to allow more the possibility, it's not going to be guaranteed, to allow the possibility that there are more elk on the landscape for for wolves to be able to pursue, engage, consume. Now, here's a possible silver lining. 
for anybody that wants to try to pull this one off. If they're going to have, if they're going to try to manage for upper the upper tier uh, population objectives and and densities in these herds, well, there's a case to be made that uh, you know a significant impact to elk calf mortality is spring bear mortality. A significant mortality factor in some of these herds is uh, lion pressure, bear pressure. Could sportsmen parlay this impact into a greater case for additional predator management on bear and lions? I don't know. That's up to Coloradans to to argue that one and figure out. But by and large, and, and I think the technical working group outlined this well. I, I mean, they had to. Have, they, they know, just like the people in in Idaho, Wyoming, and Montana know. Statewide populations of elk are doing, you know, what whatever they're doing. It's it was regional impacts that were most significant, and so again, some people are reading in this plan statewide impacts. When, in fact, it's going to be most likely regional impacts. And even though regional impacts are going to be very, very meaningful and um, impactful to sportsmen that utilize those areas, they're not going to be overly important to the wolf advocates, the Wildlife Commission, as it stands, the governor the legislature or the people in the state of Colorado, because a man member, this people of the state of Colorado, many of them are not going to care about <clears throat> what, you know, the elk population in this drainage was decimated. Okay. But are, but are, is the, are the elk in, in Colorado doing okay? Yes. Are the, are the wolves doing okay? Yes. Is there hunting in, in Colorado? Yes. Okay. Like, there you go. So remember the agency is managed with managing the whole state. They will do, in the face of wolf management, they're going to probably do as best that they can regionally. But they can only do what they can do, period. And, like, it's going to be... Anyway, don't want to beat a dead horse. <clears throat> to the... to the Okay, so this there were several times where this one-way... I know where the one-way compromise statement came from. Um, I understand the perspective of it. Um, but there, you know, people again were saying that concessions were given to the ranchers and livestock, but not to sportsmen. I think I covered that in the beginning. You, we're dealing in that case. We're talking about a government taking of private property versus recreation. One is a legal requirement that the state has to do, uh, and then the other one is at the pleasure of the state for recreational purposes and game management purposes. Again, we're putting an apex predator on the landscape that is going to assist, if not take over, ungulate management, population regulation in certain areas. So, of course, recreation takes a back seat. Um, and, and that's the other thing too, Matt. So, there was, okay, so some people were pissed off about, you know, some people were pissed off about what what they perceived the ballot initiative doing and then what they see the plan doing. And they thought, they thought that the plan was way overreaching from what the, the people of the state of Colorado voted for. Again, I I will be I will raise my hand. I was guilty on what I understood. Again, I wasn't 
a resident, so I didn't vote on it. I didn't get the little blue little packet. What the what the sportsman the sportsman community, those people driving the dialogue, the organizations and, and the influence of the sportsman community, the, the the conversation that they were driving at the time was people voted, people in Colorado voted to have wolves in the state versus what it actually was in in the statute, which was a self-sustaining, ecologically viable, standalone population. That is wildly different than a couple of elk or a couple moot. Oh, getting tired. That is wildly different than a, a, a handful of wolves on the landscape. The language was all there. The language was all there. If you did not do due diligence and you did not go and investigate this for yourself, that, I'm sorry, and I'm not on the side of the wolf advocate, but in this case, I'm sorry, legally stand from a legal standpoint, that's on you, man. They gave constructive notice. They had it right there in the blue packet that you could have looked at. You had every opportunity to look at it. Every member of this, of every registered voter in the state of Kansas, Kansas, Colorado, had an opportunity. They had constructive notice of what was actually being put on the table. It's up to whether or not you pursued all that knowledge. Point blank. And and this is going to come up later with some of what's going on with sportsmen's issues. Why I have issues with you know sports certain sportsmen's organizations and advocacy groups these days. Because they 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 rest they rest heavy, freaking heavy on constructive notice. Oh, the information's there. They've got it on their website, buried down in like page three and under this little header, if you go over and click this thing and, and this other link and then follow that link over to this paper and then you see what we're doing. Oh, yeah, 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 it's posted. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's there. Knowing damn well that the average public isn't going to go find it. So the sportsmen's are, if you're going to be mad at the advocates thinking that they hid something from the, the, population, uh, the Colorado voters in Prop 114, Eight, you're wrong because it was right there. Like you, boom, it was right there. But B, be mad at sportsmen's organizations and, and political advocacy groups right now that are giving you half of the information you need as well. Oh, you can go find it, but they're going to give you the information that you need for you to to get emotionally triggered the way you want them to be emotionally triggered, the, the, the way they want you to be emotionally triggered so that way you do what they want you to do. That is ubiquitous across sportsmen's organizations these days. Has been for the past 15, 20 years. Don't get mad at the activists when our own community does the same thing to us. All right. What about unintended consequences? That was another question that several people brought up. Well, there you go. Uh, Yes. I'm not... I think the plan is a good plan for the for the constraints that the agency put on them, given what the the charge was in the the legislative charge was and and the the value sets, the political value or yeah, the political environment and the value sets of the people that are driving this ship that are captaining this ship right now. I think it's a good plan based on all of that. Do I like the plan? Hell no. Do I no? It's rife with unintended consequences. This this is going to be an exercise in unintended consequences. Here's the thing that you have to understand. From a scientist scientific community standpoint, from a from a wolf advocacy wolf advocacy standpoint, 
<coughs> and realistically, from a, a scientific research standpoint, good. Because it's a chance to study it. It's a chance to document it. It's a chance to be on the cutting edge of knowledge on, on this new era of, of wolf conservation and management. Again, remember, it's gonna be it's nature's way. They are the apex predator. By the own admission of the plan, they, the wolves will cut on the landscape and, and cause a trophic cascade of effects across the landscape. Yes, they will. Not Some of them aren't going to be good. Some of them might be good, but a lot of them aren't going to be good. But guess what? We get to, it's adaptive management. We get to learn along the way. We get to see and we get to, we, 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 we watch as all the it, nature and unfolds before us. The ecological process and the trophic cascade unfolds before us. And we all get our witness to nature's way. Trust me. There's, this thing's rife with unintended consequences. All right, this one, okay. Why Gunnison slash what does it mean for the Mexican wolf recovery? First and foremost, 99.9% of you don't give two shits about the Mexican wolf recovery project. You don't give two shits about it. You've never even thought about it. Since the last time some talking head or political advocate or sportsman group threw it in your face years ago. You don't give two shits about Mexican Wolf program. Stop. Now, for those of you that don't give a shit, all you're doing is you're using, all of a sudden you think you found a, a, a tool. You're like, oh wait, look at this. You yank it up and you're like, ah! There's, there's the smoking gun. <laughs> Stop the, the Colorado wolf introduction. No, no, no. Stop. For the 0.1% of you that does care about the Mexican wolf introduction, credit goes to where credit is due. Blood Origins episode 318 with Jim Heffelfinger out of Arizona. Jim is a phenomenal biologist. Um, deserves the accolades he gets from a professional standpoint. He made he 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 brought up some good points on uh with Robbie uh on the Blood Origins podcast about the Mexican wolf reintroduction. But here's the thing though, it goes both ways. If you think about Gunnison and the Gunnison Valley, that is good habitat for the type of wolf that is found in the northern Rocky Mountain region that is adapted to the northern Rocky Mountains. It's not good habitat for the Mexican wolf. And so this is where Jim was talking about there at one point the the conservation area was Arizona, New Mexico and in Mexico old Mexico proper. At one point there was this proposal put forth that Mexican wolves former range could go all the way up to I70 Colorado in you know southwest Colorado all the way up to I70. Both the the people that were part of the recovery plan rejected that. I, a lot of them rejected that idea. 
as did the Col- as did Colorado. Colorado did not get on board with that. Colorado rejected that idea. Said, "No, we are not Mexican wolf habitat. We weren't ever Mexican wolf habitat." There was the, Colorado never got on board with that. Now, there may have been some talk. They didn't get on board with that by and large. If you look at the habitat and how the habitat is laid out, you've got Gunnison, but you, let's be honest, you've got, if you go east of Gunnison, you hit the Continental Divide and you go down that mountain stream, you can start running into, eventually, eventually you can run into Forbes Trinchera, Calabra Ranch, uh, you could get into um, Bar and I Ranch, Tercio Ranch, Hill Ranch. Once you start getting to Hill Ranch, once you start getting into Ted Turner type territory in northern Mexico, New, New Mexico, suddenly the habitat, there it's elk rich. There's a lot of elk there. But you're starting to get into habitat. It is a little bit more conducive to the Mexican wolf rather than the northern wolf. So yes, could we have dispersal from Gunnison into the continental, the, the, the main, the, the Sangre de Cristos down through the Calabria Range down into New Mexico? Yes, you could. But you have to understand there's also a real desolate, deserty type habitat from that Durango, Cortez, uh, northern New Mexico, western New Mexico, northeastern Arizona. Man, that is not good habitat for wolves, and it's not that game rich. You start getting into the Southern Ute Indian Reservation and other re- Indian reservations who have already said, hell no, we don't want them, and it's sovereign land, they'll shoot the piss out of them. Could there be cross-contamination between gray wolves in Gunnison down to the Arizona Mexican wolf recovery area? Yes. Technically, yes. Yes. I think Arizona would be well within their right to put a bullet in it. And I think the Fish and Wildlife Service would be behind that and Colorado would be behind. What would end up happening is, is Arizona would be like, hey, damn it, you got a freaking gray wolf down here. Colorado would be like, oops, sorry. And they would go down and they would try to tranquilize it, catch it or whatever, move it and bring it back. If they couldn't do that, they would probably put it down. If someone else didn't put it down, it would be only if the, that animal had a radio collar on it. That's when the, the agency cooperation would kick in and Arizona would be like, hey, Come get your damn dog. And then Colorado would run down there and go get their damn dog. Um, I don't like the idea of Gunnison at all. I, I, I think that was a bullshit move. I understand it from a biological standpoint, however. Again, the point is a sustainable, independent, statewide population. Ecologically significant. If you're going to do that, you have to have you have to have multiple packs spread apart far enough from one another that they have their own packs, but then within close proximity to one another, whether you can have dispersal and immigration, emigration in and out of those packs for genetic diversity. When you look at the the the, the habitat in Gunnison, it I'm sorry, it's that area down. It's good at it's good habitat. It's it's got the animals. It's got the habitat. It's it's good from a from if you look at a statewide conservation recovery standpoint of a gray wolf, it fits. I don't like it. Do I have an argument against it? Unfortunately, no. Uh, no, I don't. Um, and again, remember, 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 
For those that are, that are pissed off about the, the Mexican wolf thing, that's up to Arizona. That's up to Arizona and New Mexico to bring forth a challenge to the state of Colorado. That's that. That's not Colorado citizens. Again, Colorado citizens are the lowest on the totem pole. I know that we supposedly have the power, or the, you know, citizens have the power. You know damn well. So we're the low ones on the totem pole. We can appeal up the chain of command. We can appeal to the commission, and the com- commission can either accept or reject our appeal. However, if a legislative body or a court interjects, they are above the commission, and then the commission has to listen to them. So if we want, if, if, if someone's concerned about the Mexican wolf reintroduction pro, or recovery, it's going to be up to the state of Arizona to make the case against Colorado. And make the in New Mexico to make the case against Colorado, not us. We we're, we're not going to make that case. Not it's not going to get listened to. Let's just put it that way. We can make the case. Again, remember, Colorado manages wildlife for by and of the people of Colorado. Except unless there is a binding multi-state species recovery or species management agreement, you'll hear MOU. Memorandum of Understanding. Now, those are treated as binding, and some of them have some legislative binding mechanism to them. Other ones are informal, but there's a Memorandum of Understanding. It's an agreement across agencies, across parties. It's a promise. Unless there was some sort of multi-state agreement with the state of Arizona and New Mexico, Colorado is not in breach of anything that that, that I know of. If, if you guys know of one, let me know. But again, it's irrelevant for you to bring that up as a citizen. It's going to be up to Arizona or New Mexico to bring that case forward. Okay, Chris? Say, okay, blah, 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 whatever. What about Utah? You know, they're going to bring wolves and they're going to dump them right there next to Utah and, and they could disperse into Utah. And, and yes, yes, yes. Guess what, Utah? You guys have a wolf management action plan in place, or at least has been reviewed. I don't know, but you guys, for you Utah residents that are along the western border of Colorado, or the, you know the border of Colorado, uh, you may want to get organized. You may want to get organized. You want might want to start having some conversations with your biologist and your state agency and put a put something in place. Because I, if if I was Utah and I saw this was happening, I'd be freaking pissed. And if the people of the state of Utah did not want wolves, I could absolutely see the state of Utah bringing a suit against the state of of Colorado saying, hey, you're dumping wolves in our backyard and it's causing us problems. We ain't paying for it because you brought them in. Now, I don't know if they would have a case, but that's going to be up to the state of Utah to bring that case against the state of Colorado. It's not going to be the Colorado citizen bringing, or a Utah hunter bringing that up and having the commission listen to it and then modify something in the plan. That That's not how that's going to work. That, that ain't going to work that way. <clears throat> a couple people asked, you know, agency's reaction to the, the shoot, shovel, and shut up, or mysterious deaths, or, but, okay, stop that conversation right now. Stop that dialogue right now. This is a chance for the wolf advocates to... Th- this is literally like a, a field test, a, a dry run 
uh, for essentially a, a parallel of socialism. Like, seriously, you, when you hear in public dialogue these days, political dialogue, well, socialism, you know, socialism always fails. Well, that's because socialism wasn't done, you know, correctly. If I did socialism, socialism would be better. They, they just didn't do it right. Like, this is literally what this Colorado Wolf Plan is. Well, Idaho, like the feds up in, in Idaho, in the Yellowstone region, well, they didn't do it right, and, and and it should have been done this way. And, you know, what was going on in Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming, and everywhere else, well, that, that was because they did it wrong. This is our time to do it how we envision, and we will get success. That's, what, that's, how, they vision, that's how they envision it. That's how they envision it. So if you're going to sit there and you're say you're going to go out and shoot a wolf, shoot, shovel, and shut up, Buddy, you're literally taking your life into your own hands. Because if you get caught, your life is over. It's done. You will be made such an example of, legally and politically. And you will put such a black eye on sportsmen, landowners across the United States, not just Colorado. You will set our cause back so freaking far, I will put a bullet in your figuratively put a bullet in your head and bury you 12 feet deep. Let's not, we, we can't talk like that. We can't act like that. No, no. It doesn't matter what the, the, the response is going to be. There is going to be a massive law enforcement presence on all of this. And if they catch anybody, they will be crucified. They will be crucified legally and publicly. Other people complaining. There's no metric for what the fail, what failure looks like in this option. There's there's no metric of when. Oh well, we tried. It didn't work. Respectfully, for those people that are saying that, you don't understand the people you're dealing with, and you don't understand this the the public process. There is no failure. There there's no metric in here where there is failure. This project can fail year after year after year. And what's going to happen is the agency is going to be commanded by the commission and wolf advocates, legally if necessary, to continue to trap and relocate. Trap and relocate. It's called translocate. Do another one. 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 Do another. Oh, it's not working because there's hunting. Get rid of hunting out of this area. Do another one. Close off all all recreational access in the area and have no human disturbance. Do another one. Do another one. That is literally how these things go. Colorado already has an example of that with a Lynx reintroduction of how that went. It went way beyond what was projected in the beginning. More links brought in. More links brought in. More links brought in. More links brought More money. Just keep going until they get it. Number one. You can see this repeatedly with Prairie Dog. That's that's I my the reason why I have qualification to talk about this is because for the past 20 plus years, I've been engaged with controversial wildlife species, the blacktail prairie dog, along the front range of Colorado, both in management and conservation scale translocations, relocation efforts. From between working between those people that just want to bulldoze every every prairie dog under the under the ground to those people that never want to see a prairie dog lose its life to the hand of man. Period. From 
active management on the landscape, clearing the way for you know, development or whatever, or managing populations within an urban setting, all the way to conducting highly successful, ecologically significant translocations of black-tailed prairie dogs into eastern Colorado for conservation purposes. Okay, I've, I've played in this arena. The difference in my species that I'm an expert in and these is my species is tied to soil, vegetation, and predator avoidance. Wolves are tied to highly mobile prey species and they are the apex predator. So there's different action there, but the concept is the same. When I'm working with prairie dogs, I've, I can tell you, when an activist group, when, it, when an activist, an advocacy group is given the authority to engage in a relocation effort, unless a governing power that they have to answer to directly regulates them, there is no end. There is no failure. They just do it again and again and again. And even if they put the animals on the landscape and they die, well, that's nature's way. Well, that's nature's way. Well, hell, let me let me put it this way. I mean, I've I've even watched with some of the advocates. They do a relocation, and they do a relocation. The prairie dogs start, and a badger moves in. A badger comes in and starts waylaying the piss out of the out of the prairie dogs. There were advocates that were even telling telling the, the wildlife managers, "We need to remove the badger to give the the prairie dogs some." Like, there is no failure here, folks. There there doesn't need to be a metric for failure. Because you know damn well there is not going to be failure. Wolves are going to do well in this landscape to some degree. The question is, is to, to what degree? The agency has outlined what they think is necessary. The activists have outlined, and it, they always push the envelope to the nth, to the greatest extent possible. But let's just say for a second that for whatever reason, over the course of 10 years, Colorado just cannot break 30 animals that exist in the in the state. They just can't do it. The habitat and the elk numbers or whatever just doesn't support it or the, the climate is too hot or what parasites or whatever ecological function is, is creating a, a problem with wolves and they just don't take. The only, this is codified in state statute. The only thing that is going to stop this from continuing is a superseding subsequent state statute, a change in the governor who changes the appointment of the commissioners, and they change the what do I, the, the motivation behind it. Again, if that's the case, they're going to be met with lawsuits from the activist groups or a ballot initiative. That's it. That's it. This is their time, man. You don't understand. This is the activist time. This they have been given the reins to this horse, this runaway, this horse. They're gonna ride that sucker into the ground. It's their time to make this into what they have always dreamed of. There is no failure. There is no try. You will do it. And we will have, and we, and right now, and for at least the foreseeable future, they have the power to say so. There is a lot 
of pride in this and riding on this. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for these advocates to be in charge. And quite honestly, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for legitimately credible, good biologists to quote-unquote study and do better with a translocation, a reintroduction effort like this than the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service did. There's too many opportunities here that are groundbreaking. There are way too... Way too ground, way too many groundbreaking opportunities here for them to list some sort of failure. No way, no way. Again, this is a legacy project. People's personal, political legacies are riding on this. This is a legacy poly, uh, project for Polis. Senior administrators to the De- Department of Natural Resources, the Divi- you know. Colorado Parks and Wildlife, Wildlife Commissioners, Wolf Advocates. And again, I'm sorry, understandably so, as a biologist, understandably so, biologists as well. This is a legacy project for some of these, these biologists. Because some of these biologists are literally have had an absolute stunning career, and this is going to be the cherry on the top of this amazing Sunday that is their career in wildlife biology. You know the number of scientific papers that are going to come out of this? Journals? Like, the number of names that are going to be known forever in the world of ecology and wildlife management? Like, there is no failure. There is no try. You will do, and we will do, until someone stops us. Period. My, again, my 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 opinion. <clears throat> All right, let me wrap this up. So, what the hell do sportsmen do? I can only give you those options. I will only give you those options that you can take to the commission for those people the sportsmen listening to this, that you want to go to this commission meeting on what, you know, coming up. The hell do you do with the commission meeting? Like, what do you say that's meaningful? Is there anything, is it, is it, is it pointless? Should you just not even go? No. I think you should go. I want you to go. It's going to be symbolic. That it, Literally, that's all it's going to be. You being there is nothing, it's going to be nothing more than symbolic. But I think that symbolism is going to be important. That, you're showing up and you're there, you're engaged and you're paying attention. Whether you have been up to this point or not is irrelevant. You're there now, okay? Go physically to the uh, the commission meeting if you can. If you can't, you definitely log in on the virtual and if you want to say something, sign up and say something. Now, number one, okay, let me, okay, let me okay, step. You got to remember, this is the other thing too that I saw the other day. Well, the other day's commission meeting, even though after all the the cries for people getting involved, getting involved, getting involved, I think there was like three sportsmen. Uh, Suzanne Roller for Elk Foundation. Um, Justin Smith. Justin, if you're listening, shout out. I thought you did a good job. Um, And then there was another woman that was on there for, I think, on behalf of SCI. 
Um, again, though, they both argued for you know phase four stuff, which again it's in statute. It, it, it's 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 a moot point, or what you know in the in the eternal words of Joey Tribbiani, it's a moo point. A moo point? You mean a moot point? No, a moo point. You know, like a cow's opinion. Doesn't really matter. Okay? So, um, yeah. So, with that being said, you're, if you're going to speak, remember, you're given two minutes. Like, two minutes. That's it. Two minutes is only long in sex and push-ups. That's it. Like, two minutes is a very, very short time. You better write down what you want to say and then practice it in front of your phone with a timer and watch how long it takes you to read what you want to say. Two minutes is nothing. Okay? Number one, you need to practice. Don't go up there and be like, uh, I, uh, you're out of time. The other thing, if you're going to go before the commission, you don't have to spend 30 seconds thanking the chairwoman and the commissioners for giving you the opportunity to speak and deny, but that's their job. They are bound by law to do so. Be respectful. You don't need to waste 30 seconds of your time thanking them for doing their job. Okay? They have to. This is why you're there at the meeting and that's why they're holding these meetings. And the only reason why they're holding the meetings is because they're obligated to by law. All right? And by this, by 105.8, right? So don't waste your time on... Yo, thank you, Madam Chairwoman. Boom, go because it is a chairwoman. Boom, jump into it. You, quite honestly, you don't have to spend time thanking the agency for, and the SAG and the Twig for doing all. Again, you don't have time for that. Just be respectful in whatever it is that you want to say. Okay, so what the hell, Chris? Do I say? I, here, here's the thing. I don't know what you want to say. Would I, if it was me, my opinion, what I would not say. Stop with the hunting slash phase four BS. It is irrelevant to be arguing the phase four and the hunting, the consump or the 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 non-game versus game and the management option of phase three into phase four. It's pointless. I think I've made the case. I hope I've made the case. I don't think that Colorado will get to that pos- that point ever, in my opinion. I don't think the activists will ever allow wolves to go from three into four, first and foremost. When they do, they'll never allow recreational hunting, period. It's going to go through the court system before that ever happens, unless it gets changed in the legislature, which again is going to be challenged in the courts. So you arguing the phase four issues, the, the, the hunting issues, the management plan, all, all that stuff is pointless. I, I'm sorry, my opinion is pointless. It's got, those type of things are going to take legislative action. Any action that the commission takes now is not binding later, so you're going to have to be right there trying to argue it again. And, it's, and it, it, I'm sorry, it makes sportsmen ignorant of the process, ignorant of what's written, what's actually in law, and it's counterproductive because most sportsmen get frustrated and they get angry and then they, they're, they're going to they're gonna express that emotion. If you're going to express that emotion in an ignorant manner, and I'm not meaning ignorant in a, in a disrespectful way, I'm just meaning an incorrect, uneducated manner, like a wrong, you're just, you're functionally wrong, okay? It's, it, you're, it's counterproductive. I do think, oh, this came up. 
in the meeting, this latest round of commission meeting with the new commissioners that were confirmed. Yes, they are confirmed. Did any of you go and fight them in front of the legislature? I'm going to withhold my answer on that. And it doesn't matter how many emails you send. They don't give a shit about the emails. They don't. It was whether or not you went and sat, you went and stood up and did, you went and literally talked to somebody or you stood up and testified. Anyway, they got confirmed. They're confirmed. Richard Reading is on the commission. Like it or love it, hate it, whatever, doesn't matter. He's on there. Okay, so what came out of this latest commission was a statement by the wolf advocates that are on the commission that not only did they want numbers of wolves to be increased, they wanted to attach a geographic footprint within the state of Colorado also to that recovery goal. Meaning, it didn't matter if there was a thousand wolves in northwestern Colorado. If there wasn't enough wolves in Gunnison, it still would not be delisted. It would still not go from phase three into phase four. Some of them want a geographic component. The biologists in the agency and the twig both recommended against that. And I also recommend against that. Sportsmen are going to need to unite behind supporting the agency in not including a geographic footprint as part of the deal, uh, the recovery criteria. You need I do even though this is. This is symbolic, and and the the commission doesn't necessarily have to listen to you. There are members in the commission that do not agree with this geographic designation, and they need your support, and they need to hear that the public supports their position on that commission as well. They need to know that you've they've got your back, or you've got their back. Okay, this should be fought for. I think you do fight now against the inclusion of the addition of this geographic language for the recovery, all right? And the reason why I can say this as a subject matter expert with translocations and establishment of populations, I've literally published two-page papers, peer-reviewed papers, on how to do translocations the best possible way for prairie dogs. Even though I know exactly how to do translocations and how to get essentially 90% retention within the release site area, it doesn't matter what I think is proper on the ground. The animals themselves are going to determine how they manifest themselves on the landscape. They are going to interact with their habitat and they are going to settle into those areas that maximizes their fitness. When I say fitness, I'm talking about their their health, their reproduction, and the survival of their offspring. That is reproductive fitness. Being able to increase a genetic footprint of an individual on the landscape over time. Surviving, having offspring, those offspring survive and have offspring of their own. <coughs> each animal, each population is going to find that balance and that equilibrium on the landscape for themselves. All we can do as biologists, as managers, is find the best piece of real estate or area or population or, or, or habitat that we can think of, turn those critters loose the best way we know how, and then step back 
and let them find their balance and equilibrium on the landscape. Sometimes they're going to stay generally where we put them. Other times they're going to freaking flat move. Hopefully they move in an area where they're accepted. Sometimes from my neck of the wood, my, my world, no, they would move into a place where they were not wanted and get whacked and killed and there they go. Okay, but from a wolf standpoint, so my, my, my expertise is with an animal that is engaged with a static environment, soil, grass, terrain, that's it. And then predator avoidance, all right? Even then, with such a, a small suite of external inputs on that system, the animals will find their own place that they want to settle. When we're talking about wolves, you're talking about a highly mobile species, apex predator that lives in a pack, that develops a massive home territory. And that pack's home territory is based upon the prey base and the resources within its territory. But that prey base is highly mobile. And that prey base is not used to having wolves, wolf predation, in that population 365 days a year. So that prey population is going to react wildly these next several years. I know for a fact the technical working group has this information. And you people that live in Idaho, Washington, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, maybe you Washington, Oregon, whatever, anybody that has expertise and has data to show this, I you need to get a hold of people in Colorado and give them this information. Not agency folks, not anybody that was in the SAG group, not anybody that was in the technical working group. You need to get send it to me and then I will send it to individual sportsmen that want to testify. But we'll need that data. If you've got the data, that's how somebody outside of the state of Colorado can help someone inside the state of Colorado. And this is a big one. If you are listening or you know anybody that has this information, if you have data to show how ungulate species reacted to initial wolf engagement and watch how they moved across the landscape. That is what is needed for testimony before the commission. Because wolves engaging into a, a virgin, if you will, population of ungulates that have never had that level of predation are going to change their density, their movement patterns, and possibly even their home ranges on the landscape in relation to that wolf, new wolf pressure. Until both the wolf population and the ungulate population find their new equilibrium, you have no idea what geographic boundary, little polygon on a map, that's going to look like. I know why the advocates want to add the geographic footprint clause to the recovery goals. Because they know it is highly unlikely that it will ever be achieved. And if it is achieved, the only way it's going to be achieved is by a population of wolves way above the 150 to 200 that's currently in the plan. It's very strategic and it's good on their part. Kudos to them that, that, they're, that they're thinking like this. Because this is their agenda. This is their value set. I don't agree with it. I don't value it, but I can understand it. Make sense? So they want to add this geographic component to the recovery. This is what you guys hammer. This is the one that I think you can change right now. This one I think you have support within the commission existing to oppose this idea. So you are not alone. You need to show those commissioners that they are not alone. But if we have any hope, I'm telling you anybody that's in 
Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Washington, Oregon, um, even anybody that's listening to me in Minnesota and and anywhere where there's wolves. If you have a a, a paper, if you have a report, if you have uh, any testimony, any if you have actual tangible items like proof of what happens on the landscape, that is ammunition, figuratively, ammunition that we can take people, somebody, a Colorado resident. I can't, I'm not going. I, I'm not a resident. I, I don't have a, a standing. Somebody in Colorado is going to have to carry this voice. I have people that are going to the meeting. So I can give them this information and they can carry this voice for us. But we need to have data. And a reason why I say we need to have data and science on our side in this regard to the greatest extent possible is because the wolf advocates already do. They're already pulling data. At the last commission meeting, the virtual commission meeting, one of the wolf advocates pulled two recent, just pulled out two recent studies talking about wolf behavior, wolf interactions, and wolf mortality by hunting and how that that new information should shape the, the, the dialogue and the, 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 the future of this wolf. I mean, the advocates are pulling papers that were published in January of two, 2023, last month. The wolf advocates are using scientific data, scientific literature published last month in their testimony before the commission. Are you? What is our collective excuse? as a sportsman body. If the activists can do that, why the hell can we not? Do you know how many professionals, resource professionals have access to the Journal of Wildlife Management? I'm not even going to list them off. Holy hell. All of the professional journals out there. Send them to me. I'll pass them on. If you don't know what I'm saying, send them to me and I'll pass them on. If nothing else, send them to me and I'll talk about it. You can send them anonymously. Just oh, you just send me the citation. Bloop. Send me the citation. I could. I've got the memberships on the on uh, hell of a lot of the journals, especially the Wildlife Society journals. I'll freaking pull them up, and I'll send them on. We need to use that type of stuff. But but the one that I think that means something for the Colorado Commission coming up is standing firm against adding any geographic designation to the recovery plan. It needs to be numbers. It needs to be left to the experts. It needs to be left to the the biologists in the agency. We have members in the commission that believe like that, that are opposed to this idea. We need to back them up. And that's the other thing too is, that is not an emotional plea. That's using facts and logic. However, it represents part of the value set of the people that are on the commission. So play to that and use the people on the commission as your advocate. Back them up. <sighs> I think some of this all this goes against uh, goes without saying. Do not get up there and and criticize the agency or the people that were on the plan because you don't like the plan. You need to read the plan and understand the plan and then understand who like how. You, you got to have some respect for the fact that this is an impossible task. They, they have both their hands tied behind their back and they're, they're, they're forced to go out there. Anyway, I made the point. Don't get up there and criticize the agency. Don't get up there and criticize the commission. Don't get up there and criticize the advocates, the wolf advocates. None of that helps. It only makes us look worse. 
and all of that negative emotion that you create simply alienates us for later on and it only sets to increase the amount of venom and and resistance we're going to come up with later on. Um, this is where I've, I've waffled back and forth. Um, <clears throat> I have a, just a piss pile of other, I mean, like serious other notes here. And that was going to be the, the, the thing of <clears throat> whether I bring them up or not. Um, I am not, but I will, I'm going to, I'm going to close this discussion with this concept. All right. Well, sorry. Changed my mind. No, I'm just going to end it there. Um, <laughs> so I paused that, deliberated with myself for a little bit, decided, yes, I would go ahead and talk about certain things. Went ahead and recorded about another 45 minutes of diving into, well, the general gist of what I was thinking. Ended it, got to the editing studio and went, no, I can't, no, I can't talk. No, we're, it is premature for me to talk further about this issue beyond this moment. And this moment needs to end here. This podcast need to end, needs to end here with the commission meeting coming up this week. My opinion, sportsmen need to focus on stopping any conversation regarding putting a qualification to the recovery of Gray Wolves in Colorado that attaches recovery to a geographic distribution. That is disastrous on many levels. It doesn't work from a functional, biological, wildlife level. Sportsmen have allies on the commission now that do not want to put a geographic distribution uh, distribution component into this plan. I think we go on Tuesday. Colorado, Coloradans, not we. Um, the, the 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 ubiquitous we. Colorado sportsmen who go to that meeting and who chime in virtually or whatever. That is what I think. If you ask my opinion, that is the unified message we bring to the table. Is no. Although we have our difference of opinion and disagreements within the plan, the plan is well thought out, and it is a decent plan for what it is at the moment. But we do not want geographic distribution part of the recovery standards. No. There you go. Hope that was valuable. It was long, but I'm sorry. Some of this needed to cut through some of the bullshit that was going on. (sighs) Maybe that did for you. Again, these are my opinions. Across my career being involved with Colorado politics, sportsman-related politics. So, you can take it. You can leave it. You can be mad at me. You can embrace it. You can use it. You can do whatever the hell you want. Because it ultimately it is up to those of you in Colorado that are going to go and engage at the commission. It, it's up it's up to you how you're going to use this information. I hope that um, you find value in it. See you guys.